Welcome everyone to our April 1st, 2022 Telephonic ACB Board of Directors meeting, uh, broadcast on ACB Media 6. Uh, so uh, welcome everyone. Um, before we officially get started, I just wanted to take one brief moment and thank all of the staff and volunteers for all of their hard work during the DC Leadership Conference and a special shout out to our members. We had uh, over 300 folks register for the leadership conference, thought it was really an exceptional uh, five days, including the board meeting with all kinds of tremendous content. Uh, Rick and, the, and Larry and the ACB uh, media team are working uh, very hard to get the content turned around and put out on podcast, as well as Tony and team are, are working uh, to get um, our content posted on uh, YouTube, as well as eight plus hours of the highlights of the DC Leadership Conference will be translated into Spanish language and made available uh, on podcast. Uh, and also a special shout out to Gabriel Lopez Cafati and Swathananda Kumar for all their wonderful support in translating, especially from uh, Gabriel's point of view with registration, legislative uh, seminar uh, information, uh, as well as the wrap up shows. Uh, and so thanks to both of them for their efforts. I thought it was an amazing first step for our um for our team uh, in the area of Spanish language. And I'm sure we'll continue to build on that at the convention this year. So with that said, I'm going to call the uh, April 1st telephonic uh, 2022 board meeting to order uh, and ask for Denise Colley, our ACB secretary to do the roll call and introduction of staff and guests. Thank you, Denise. Thank you, Dan. Dan Spoon. Here. <laughs> Jeff Cook-Lewis. <laughs> Uh, here. Ray Campbell. Here, now from Springfield. Hey, well. I'm here. Um, David Trotz. Here. Kim Charlson. Do we have Kim? I'm not seeing her in here, Denise. Chris Bell. Here. Jeff Bishop? Here. Donna Brown? Here. And Jim is not here, you said. Doug Powell? Here. Kenneth Simeon? Here. Patrick Sheehan? Here. Connie Sims? Here. Michael Talley? Here. Jeff Tom? Here. And from the BOP, Penny Reeder? Here. Staff, Eric Bridges. Here, and Denise, I believe uh, Nancy Becker and Clark are the only two other staff with us this evening. Okay, great, thank you. Uh, and do we have any guests with us this evening? Denise, it's Janet Dickelman, and mm -hmm. I'm here as a guest. Okay, we got Janet. Anybody and else? I asked Janet to be here uh, for discussion on uh, item number six. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and seven. Rick Moore oh. is here also. Oh, my oh, apologies, Rick. Rick. Oh, and, hey, Rick. And, and, and I totally apologize. I'm so sorry. And Larry Gassman. Yes. Contractor. All right. Mr. Chair, that completes the call of the roll. 
All right, thank you, Denise. Uh, so item three on the agenda is review and approval of the agenda. So we'll kind of take it from the top. So one is roll call, Dan Spoon, ACB president. Two, is, excuse me, is called order at Dan Spoon, ACB president. Two is roll call, introduction of staff and guests, Denise Colley, secretary. Three is review and approval of the agenda. Four is review, view, easy for me to say, review and approval of the March 11th DC Leadership Conference ACB Board of Director meeting minutes, Denise Colley, secretary. Five is our mission moment with uh, Eric and Dan, really celebrating ACB making a difference uh, and congratulations to uh, a team of our ACB leaders that participated in an NIH listening session um, to promote uh, accessible home COVID testing kits. So I wanted to spend a little time and congratulate that team for their efforts. Six is the primary focus of tonight's meeting, uh, and that is a decision on whether we will have a hybrid or virtual only ACB conference and convention in 2022 scheduled for the in-person part in Omaha, Nebraska. Seven is based on the decision made in six above if we do decide to have a hybrid uh, convention with portions of it in person, what will be our COVID rules around uh, participation in that in-person portion of the convention. And uh, there's three recommendations that were put forth by the convention steering committee that Janet will produce, pre present to the, to the team, uh, to the board. Uh, eight is support for the blind and low vision people in Ukraine. And this is a request uh, for us to uh, authorize $1,000 out of our disaster relief fund, which we put in place several years ago. We have a thousand, little over $1,000 still left in that fund to support uh, a fund that the World Blind Union is putting forth uh, to support those individuals that have been displaced in Ukraine. And that is going to be presented by Kim Charlson, not only our immediate past president of ACB, but the president of the World Blind Union, North American and Caribbean region. Um, nine is um, a discussion I'd like to have on forming an ad hoc committee to better define as we continue to grow the roles and responsibilities uh, between the board, the staff, our committees that have now been formed for over two years, our program steering committees, the ACB leadership team and our members. So I think there's some work that could be done there that better clarify our policies beyond what's in the constitution and bylaws. Uh, 10, is uh, a clarification on our 2021 financial statements after Nancy's had some conversation with our auditors and that will be presented by Nancy Marks Becker, our chief financial officer. 11 is a request uh, from, uh, a fine request from one of our board members, uh, Pat Sheehan, that would like us to spend some time, hopefully in the May timeframe to do a workshop where we could really spend several hours and really 
digest more of the 2022 strategic plan between the board and the staff. So that will be on the agenda for discussion. 12 is the review and approval of the standing rules for the 2022 ACB conference and convention as proposed by the voting task force 2.0. And that will be presented by uh, Jeff Tom the vice chair of the voting task force, as well as an ACB board of director. Uh, 13 will be executive session and 14 will be adjourned. Uh, is, do I have a motion to approve the agenda? So moved, Chris Bell. Chris Bell moves. Do I have a second? Second, Kenneth Simeon seconds. Uh, yes. Any discussion? Hearing none, all those in favor of approving the agenda signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? All right. Thank you all very much. Well, let's move on with the agenda. So item number four is review and approval of the March 11th, 2022 DC Leadership Conference ACB Board of Director meeting minutes. Denise. Thank you, Mr. Chair. So the minutes were sent out. I totally apologize for them being so late again. Um, but uh, I would like to entertain a motion to approve those minutes. This is David. I, I'll uh, make the motion, even though I'm a little confused. I thought Eric had been demoted. I saw where he <laughs> sent him out. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, thank you, David. Well, David's made the motion. Do I have a second? And then we'll, we'll give a little I'll clarification. Yes. Yeah, well, we're, we're, we're kind of, a, you know, what is a, one of our core values? Flexibility. So our staff right now is really demonstrating flexibility. We had people out of the office and, you know, people doing different things. So Eric was our, our uh, top person to uh, get the meeting minutes uh, officially distributed out to the board. So thank you, Eric. I just, I just figured Nancy was stuck with the auditors. <laughs> yeah. I, I was out of the office today, you guys. So that's why Eric sent them out. I, I think Nancy might have not even been an internet conductivity during part of the day. <laughs> Correct. Yes. So thank, thank you so much, Eric. So, all right. Um, <laughs> All right, so we have a motion to approve the minutes in a second. Oh, I also wanted to welcome Kim Charlson. I, I believe she came on. Yes. So Kim, I you're, you're now Jim. present. And Jim Crot as well. So Denise. Well, now Jim just left. And they said he left now. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he already left. Hopefully he'll be right back. <laughs> yeah. So at least if you could amend the, um, the roll call mm -hmm. that both uh, Jim and Kim are present. Thank you. Okay, so we have a motion uh, to approve the meeting minutes from March 11th. Any discussion? Hearing none, all in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? All right, thank you. We're moving right, right along. All right, number five, mission moment uh, with uh, Eric and Dan. I... Uh, Wanted to, from my, I'll go first and say I've been really impressed with our leadership team and starting with Clark uh, and Swatha and the efforts they've put forth with letters we wrote to the White House. Related, this is all related to the lack of accessibility of COVID home test kits. And uh, we wrote a letter to the White House. Uh, Might have had my name on it, but it came from ACB, of course. Um, 
Then we wrote a subsequent letter to the National Institutes of Health. We wrote a follow-up letter. We received feedback from the agency as it, it's, it, it, who knew that the National Institute of Health has 27 different institutes and centers. The one that's responsible for engineering and developing the COVID test kits is NIBIB. And their director reached back out to us, uh, putting together a listening session uh, that included multiple disability groups. And last Thursday, we had a three-hour listening session uh, with the director, the deputy director, the lead consulting team that's responsible for the development of all the RADx program, which is an almost $2 billion program to develop uh, test kits. Uh, we had a presentation from the deputy director, then an hour plus of a listening sessions. They took the, the group and broke them into three teams. Uh, one dealt with uh, senior and aging uh, issues uh, that, that made it difficult to access the, the test. Um, the second group was around fine motor skills and, and the ability that that population, uh, this or disability that population has when it comes to accessing the home test kits. And then the third was for blind and low vision individuals. Uh, ACB was represented by Clark Rackfall, our advocacy director, Jeff Tom, president of AAVL. Kim Perkins, Kim Prim Charlson at Perkins Library, not Kim Perkins, Kim yeah, Charlson at the well Perkins. I, am, I, I, I have to admit, guys, I'm a little bit tired. Uh, and excuse me, uh, Claire Stanley from the National Disability Rights Network and part of our advocacy team, uh, as well as myself. And it was really a good session. Uh, I'll ask Kim and Jeff and, 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 and Clark to comment on it, but they listened, they took notes, they then presented our comments back to us to make sure they had them all captured. Uh, then the director came on and, and basically stated that this was 50 year old technology that had to be upgraded. They realized it and they were going to make the investment to make uh, COVID test kits accessible for all of our communities. It was a pretty powerful statement. We've since uh, received a letter back uh, yesterday from Director Talberg uh, saying that, you know, they're following up with us. They wanna put focus groups in place and they wanna, you know, continue the dialogue with the American Council of the Blind. So I was, uh, I was really, uh, at least from my standpoint, very, very impressed with their engagement. I don't know, uh, Clark, Jeff, Kim, if you, you all had any thoughts, but uh, it's just to me, it's ACB really being a chief influencer and in making a difference. So, Dan, I think that one of the comments you just made about the making the test accessible and listening to us um, in, our, in our focus group, um, one of us said, that you know, while we're incredibly appreciative of the fact that they're working so hard to make 
COVID home tests accessible don't negate the value that this will have on making other kinds of medical home tests more accessible for people who have disabilities. And they absolutely acknowledge that and that that's a key part of their direction moving forward is is to make the whole field of home-based testing more accessible. So I think that's a huge victory, just getting them to acknowledge that. It's really important. Yeah, and I think acknowledging that we had a right to accessible test kits all mm-hmm. along. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is Jeff. I think it's sort of a good news, bad news, more good news than bad. And part of that good news, and which um, Kim has just sort of alluded, is ultimately they intend that home tests be used far more than just to diagnose a positive or negative you know, uh, as to whether you have a certain disease, but um, how it needs to be treated, you know, enabling you to even treat it at home. The the science in this field really has a lot of long-term goals. And because we're working toward accessibility now, um, I think that we can, when the time comes for this field to really, you know, expand, we will be able to be at the forefront. Now, the bad news is that this this stuff takes time. They have a method that they use. It's very scientific. It's very sort of engineering-based, um, and it's not going to happen overnight, in my opinion. But, I mean, that's almost uh, something we have just got to, you know, handle. Yeah, I mean, we were actually talking to their engineers, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, Clark? Clark might be muted. He is. Hey, Dan, sorry about that. The low battery screen was preventing me from unmuting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I agree with everything that Kim and Jeff has said. Uh, a couple things that I would highlight. Uh, this listening session happened because of the advocacy work of the disability community. And I would say especially and specifically because the, of the advocacy work of ACB, that's not my opinion. That's the opinion of folks at Health and Human Services of whom I've spoken with since this listening session took place. Um, I agree with, with Jeff that this is not going to provide an immediate solution for an accessible testing service. And that is why our advocacy work in this space will continue. We were scheduled to have a call with the Department of Health and Human Services this Monday. Um, that has since been postponed due to the, uh, the president's budget and Secretary Becerra um, needing to be on, on call in the department, having all hands on deck in deck in response to the, the budget announcement. So we, we will work in, uh, to reschedule that meeting and keep these advocacy efforts going. Uh, but then as, as Kim said, the, the long tail of this, longer than even my week-long Apple Fitness Challenge against Jeff Bishop, 
<laughs> is that that this will impact more than just accessible COVID testing. This this has the the potential and the promise to impact all forms of at-home testing and diagnostics, um, and that's very exciting. And it's it's also exciting how how ACB has you know pulled together. Like you mentioned, Dan, it's been a, a multi uh, multi-person, whether it's staff, board members, members. Um, it, everyone has been working on this issue and collaborating uh, to move this issue forward and raise the profile of this issue. And it's excited that we have the attention of the administration. Um, and it, it might take some time, uh, but the, the results and ramifications from this effort will provide greater accessibility uh, for many aspects of health and medical care in years and decades to come. Yeah, I, I Dan, thought. Dan, this is Pat Sheehan. I wanted to yes, go ahead, say Pat. something. Yes, please, Pat. You know, uh, I just want to point out that all of this work started with a member that we have, Gary Morin, yep. who works for NIH, who helped to uh, bring some of the these people together, make the introductions and all. So I think as far as people that are listening, you never know where your reach is going to uh, be helpful and where it's going to make a difference. So I will certainly... Uh, uh, talk to Gary and let him know where this has gone and what he started. And I think he'll be very pleased with all of that. That's great. Oh, thank you, Pat. Yes. Uh, Gary is a member of our ADP uh, uh, section 508 subcommittee. So he's very involved in providing audio description. So when, when we get, when we get to that point, I'm sure whatever videos uh, NIBIB releases will be audio described. So that's going to we'll, be we'll even a bigger bonus. We'll hold Gary to that. We're going to hold Gary to, to, <laughs> to that. Um, and, and just a little bit more on the scale, which uh, Dr. Torberg uh, brought to our attention, which I thought was kind of mind blowing is um, they used to average a million of these test kits a month. And in the month of February, they administered a billion, a thousand times. So if you can imagine just the, the increase uh, in throughput and, and what that means for engineering and innovation in this area. So uh, he, like Kim said, he's, he's wanting to solve the problem for the, for the long term, which I think fits into one of our legislative imperatives, you know, when it comes to really health and wellness and, and us being included in, you know, where medical technology is taking us in the 21st century. So, all right. Any, anyone else? Yeah, Mr. President, this is Chris Bell. Uh, yes, Chris. Congratulations to uh, everybody that, that made this happen. Um, I, I would like to add that I think it is important that uh, NIH not uh, treat the testing of their test uh, processes for accessibility mm -hmm. uh, in, in a completely siloed manner, um, because many people have multiple disabilities. So for example, if somebody has Parkinson's mm -hmm. and they're 75 years old, they've yep. got dexterity issues, but they also have aging issues. Um, and uh, the same thing for vision. You can have people who are blind that have dexterity issues and, and are older. So these things are not um, 
simply separable. Oh, well, if we solve the dexterity issue, that'll that'll work for everybody who's also older and, and blind. That's not necessarily true. These things are interactive and cumulative. So I would hope uh, as NIH proceeds that they use some focus uh, folks that have multiple disabilities to uh, get the interaction on a, a number of fronts at the same time. I, I agree Dan. with you, Chris, and, and maybe, is that Jeff? Yeah, because they addressed this. So I think that would be. Yeah, in, yeah. in our group, the, which was the aging group that I was the, I think the only one of, of our, of the ACV folks on, we definitely did uh, address that issue in a lot of different ways, uh, Chris. So you're absolutely correct for bringing that up. Okay. And I, th and, and I think they really had an aha moment that said, oh, yeah, you know, having better like laid out accessible instructions that not only, you know, their first thought was, well, we just need to take our existing instructions and make them available in braille and large print and we'll solve the problem for the blind and low vision community. And then as we talked through it, they said, no, you've got to put locator tabs and things on the devices and all that. So, and then modify those instructions. So you say, you know, the raised dot at the bottom left-hand corner of the, you know, of the, of the board is, is the direction you want to put the device as you're starting to do the test. I mean, that was just an example, but, you know, it was really pointing out, you know, the, the roles there. And then of course, people with fine motor skills were saying, well, there's no way we can get these, you know, drops in these little teeny holes. And, and the blind folks were saying the same thing. And so were the aging folks. So it became, very obvious to them that there's there there's benefits across all three populations, to, you know, for uh, for improvements. It was it was a thought very very interesting to see the it, it connectivity. One one comment that came across several times from the NIH people that was interesting was the tests are hard for sighted people too. And we need to do a better job yep. of writing directions that a normal human being can understand. Mm -hmm. They said that half, almost half of them, they, they tear the strip off when they, they, there's a good thing that they have two test kits in a box because <laughs> half the time they tear the strip off and they don't realize you have to leave it on there. Right, they avoid, they avoid the first they test to figure test. out how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, very good. Well, thank you all. And I just want to give the team a big uh, hip, 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 hooray. Hip, hooray. Hip, hip, hooray. Thank yeah, you. Thank you all. And we're not done, but I just wanted to give you an update. I thought it was a pretty good, good milestone to recognize. All right. So we will move on to item number six, which is our decision on the hybrid versus virtual only for the 2022 ACB conference and convention, right now scheduled for the in-person portion in Omaha, Nebraska. And I'm going to, um, I think, um, uh, Janet, turn it over to you to at least provide the recommendation from the convention steering committee. And then as we've done in all of these discussions, I will call on each board member to give their thoughts uh, on this really uh, difficult decision, but one we really do need to make tonight. Uh, so we will have 90 days to move forward with, with one 
with one direction. So Janet, I'll turn it over to you first to give a few, uh, some comments from the convention steering committee. And um, uh, Nancy is, is our staff lead as well. And I know she's on, but uh, Janet, the floor is yours. Dan, would you like me to give out some figures also? Because I do have some figures about what we would be talking about financially either way. If you'd I, like I, me to I share that, those. I think that would be absolutely. Yes, okay, please. All right. Very good. That's what I'm going to start with then. All right. If we were to, and now this is if I can't make any arrangements with the hotels. As you know, the last two years, we've been able to mitigate well, the charges for 2021, we had no charges. 2020, we were able to have a slight charge that passed forward to our convention in 2023 when we rebooked. I don't know if we had to cancel if we could do that in this case, but let me just give you the figures that I have. If we were to cancel the convention right now, between now and April 29th, <clears throat> excuse me, we would owe the hotel $185,000. That would be the cancellation fee. If we canceled it after the 29th of April, it would be even higher. And I'm sorry, I'm kind of losing my voice. So please, please bear with me. Um, if we go ahead and have the convention in person, we need to meet our room quota, 2,867 rooms to avoid going into what is called attrition. Um, so here's what that looks like. Right now, I, I get my uh, pickups weekly from the hotel, and it's very early in the game, of course. Right now, I have about 500 rooms that have been booked at the hotel. So that's certainly not a very good number. However, in the rooms that I personally take care of booking, which is the staff, staff rooms. Normally, I make the board reservations for this year. We'll have the three years of DKM and JP Morgan Chase and scholarship recipient rooms, uh, committee members and other various guests and, you know, unknown people that will be coming to the convention. I will probably book at least eight to nine hundred room nights. So that will bring us up to about 1,300 rooms. So the rest would be filled in by convention attendees. If we don't make, if we only make 50% of our rooms, which would be 1,434 rooms, which were basically with what I have and what we have already booked, we're already at that virtually, um, we would owe if we don't make it though, we'd owe 186,000, so almost the same as canceling. If we can make 75% of our rooms, which is 21,050, which I don't see would be a problem. We, 2,150. 2,150, 20, yeah, yeah. I no, don't want to give anybody a heart attack. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> I, had my, I had my zero in the wrong place. Um, we could owe up to $43,000. However, I believe I could work with the hotel to reduce that. And if we only made, if we made up to 80% of our rooms, which would be 2,293 rooms, we could owe $21,000. Again, I think we can make the 80% of our rooms. And I have spoken with the hotel uh, and with visit um, 
Omaha and they are willing to work with us. They understand that we may not be able to meet our full room commitment and or our room and beverage, our full beverage costs, but they are willing to work with us. So I believe that if we are able to go in person, we probably would not incur any costs if we weren't quite up to our number of rooms. I can't guarantee that, but that's what it looks like. Certainly, it would be much less than than canceling the convention. So those those are financially, those are financial considerations. We do have tours also, which we have booked our bus company, um, we have given a deposit to them. They have said that if we have to cancel, for instance, if there's a tour that we will know how our tours are doing when registration is, normally our tours fill out pretty quickly the first few days of registration. So we'll know pretty quickly how our tours are going to go. We have availability of canceling buses. I believe it's up to 72 hours prior to the convention if we can't if we have to cancel a tour, we can cancel with tours if they're not, if we don't um, have a large enough number of people. When we figure out our tour pricing, we don't, we take that into consideration that we may not have a full bus. A full bus is 56 passengers, a uh, few less um, if we have someone with a wheelchair. So we take all of that into account, plus our volunteers. So we never expect our tours are going to have, you know, 56 people on them. So when we're planning that, we do have that in consideration. So, um, and the convention um, steering committee did feel that based on, you know, taking some precautions that having a hybrid convention in 2022 would be their recommendation. All right. Um, and again, I, I apologize I, for losing my voice. I don't know what's, I, happened, what's wrong with me. I, I, I think the, I might the, have to try an at-home COVID test. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, hope not. <laughs> no. uh, I, I, I um, uh, well, if you need to, by all means, please do. Yeah, no, but yeah, uh, but <laughs> no, I, <know. laughs> uh, I hope that. I, I think before I turn it over to each board member to kind of give their statement, I I think it would be appropriate if anybody has any questions for Janet before we we go through the roll call of the board. So, an officer. So, is there anybody who has uh, questions for Janet? Janet, yes. Go ahead, Ray. Ray, okay. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what about food and beverage? Um. Um, were, were we, would we have any effect as far as minimums there and that kind of thing? There are minimum food and beverages, yeah, beverage prices, yes. Um, at the hotel, it is um, $31,000. I believe seeing the costs here, I don't believe that's going to be a problem. Right. We have a little is food that, and is beverage. That four dozen the, cookies? No, yeah, just basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be a smart aleck, food, but no, yeah, there's we pretty, have some prices food and beverage yeah. in the um, convention center also, but that's going to be pretty much utilized by the ACB cafe. So I believe we'll be okay there. I mean, I can't guarantee it. I can't sit here and say, we're not going to have to owe a little bit of money. I, I, you know, I would not be doing my due diligence if I said mm-hmm. that. But I believe that we will be pretty close to being okay. Thank you. Uh, Dan, this is Doug. Yep, yes, please, Doug. Doug. What is, uh, what, how many rooms ha- have we booked, you know, average b- rooms have we booked before COVID? A little over like 3,000. 
our average are about 3,400. Thank you. Other questions for, for Janet? Just a clarification. When we talk about rooms, we're talking about actual room nights, not yes. actual. Yes, room right, nights. Right, right, right. I'm sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. So if somebody stays for eight days, that's eight. That's room eight nights. room nights. Yes. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good time, yeah. Dave. Thank yeah. you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. But if two people share a room, it's two it's only people one tending, but it's only yes. one room night for. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I got it. Yeah. Very good. In, any yeah. other questions for Janet? Okay. All right. So oh, I'm sorry. Oh, Good. Sure, Doug. Um, you, you, uh, for meals, uh, um, I'm a little concerned about um, sort of, you know, uh, people not, you know, obviously meals are where you can't wear a mask. And what, what provisions are we making? Would we be making if we were to hold the convention for the people who are there to kind of try to uh, do something about uh, distancing? You mean like the luncheons, you mean like the luncheons, you know, or, you know, like normally, I don't know, a round would hold uh, eight people or so. Yeah. Are there thoughts Is that, that yes, you, you yes. space I, people I further apart? I would try to space people further apart. Yes. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of good sized rooms, so I think I can do that without, you know, too much difficulty. Yeah. yeah. Good questions. Any other questions for Janet? All right. Well, then I'm going to mute while you call for the roll. Okay, I'll I'm be gonna, right here. All right. So I'm going to call for uh, the, the roll. I think at this point, not for people to vote, but just give their their thoughts, and then at the end, we will we will take a uh, we'll take a roll call vote, or at least call for the question. Uh, so I'm going to start with um, uh, a go go for first first and second vice president membership secretary, treasurer, immediate past president, and then to the board. So uh, Deb, I will turn it over to you first as our uh, first vice president. Okay, thanks. Um, well, I, I basically believe that we should um, go, go forward with this. I, I know there's certainly some trepidation on the part of some people. I, I know there could be trepidation on the part of me, but, but I, um, I think it's time. I think that um, we're, we're at a place where we do certainly need to make a decision. I think there are some risks, but they are calculated risks. And so um, I am part of the uh, convention steering committee where we discussed this at length and ad nauseum, and I was okay with it there, and I still am okay with it here. Thank you, Deb. And now uh, recognize Ray Campbell, second mm -hmm. vice president. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. President. Um, I uh, believe we should go hybrid. In fact, I'm going to vote that way. Um, I, um, I, I think that um, we have vaccines, we have treatments, we have a natural immunity. And most importantly, we have knowledge and people know how they need to behave to manage their risks which includes protecting those around them. Um, and so therefore, I think uh, we've been telling our members that um, we, we wanna have a hybrid convention. Um, I think that we can take appropriate precautions to, to do that. 
Um, other conferences, CSUN just recently had their conference in person. I understand several other conferences are happening in person. I even understand, I believe, that uh, the NFB is going strictly in person this year. I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, <clears throat> that's what I've heard. Um, and, um, and yet, uh, I think this would be a really big step forward for ACB. We can provide the in-person component for those that want to be there. I, I will be there, but I'm certainly not going to tell anybody else what to do. I'd encourage you to be there. I'd love to see all of you, but everybody has to make the best decision for them. And therefore, I think that um, having the hybrid component, um, it'll be a really uh, great step forward for ACB uh, to do this. Um, and, you know, because it's not just COVID that we, that people are, I think are going to be concerned about. It's the cost of travel. Um, and, you know, unfortunately that's going up a little bit, but, um, you know, I think um, I, I'm, I'm content. I'm going to go along with the convention steering committee, what their recommendation is. And as long as um, we don't take too much of a fiscal hit, um, uh, which I don't think we will, based on what Janet has said earlier. I think that um, we are in a good position to go forward. And I would say let's move forward with the hybrid convention. And I hope to see many of you. I hope the vote will go that way. And I hope to see many of you in Omaha. Thank you. Thank you, Ray. Now, Denise Colley, ACB Secretary. Well, I would have to say, first of all, that, you know, even at this point, I'm not totally comfortable but I, um, you know, I was reading the discussion that was going on on the leadership list and was trying to take people's um, comments into consideration. And while I know that there are still people who are extremely concerned about doing this, um, I think it's already been stated several times that the time has come that we have to move forward. And uh, I think we have to move into a hybrid, hybrid convention. I'm concerned if we make this convention virtual also, that it's going to really hurt us in the future. And um, even if we do have to take some financial hits, uh, it's still not going to be as it would if we totally canceled the convention entirely. I know that there are other considerations. Cost um, was a consideration for several people. And I understand that thoroughly. I don't like it either. And I also understand that costs are going to be more because of what has happened with COVID. But costs would have been something we'd have to individually incur whether we were hybrid or not. So um, I, I believe that at this point, it is within ACB's best interest to move forward and have an in-person component to this year's convention. Thank you, Denise. And now I'll recognize David Trott, ACB Treasurer. Okay. You know, as I've always told you, I listen to people. And uh, I was kind of excited uh, when, when I got the GDUI survey. Uh, I saw a lot of people saying 23% is low. That's high, <laughs> uh, actually. 20% uh, of our membership don't go. So, you know, I looked at that and then I looked at all the discussion Lord, it's a discussion that's been on leadership. <laughs> you know, we, we, I looked at it, but, but I also know that one of the things we've given up during COVID is social interaction. And now that the variants are, are so tolerable, 
uh, the fact that the vaccines and all are out there. And we owe it to our membership. Uh, for those who, who don't want to go for whatever reason, uh, you know, in a hybrid environment, we're, we're still providing them with the ability to attend. And I, I, I just honestly think that it's in ACB's best interest to move forward. Thank you, David. And Kim Charlson, immediate past president. Thank you, Dan. In, in a lot of ways, this conversation this evening feels so much more difficult to me than the other decisions we've made over the last two years because I have a lot of concerns about many things, the, the, the hotel nights, the food and beverage, um, our, our exhibitors, the, our attendance, our membership, all those things are concerning me. Um, and it's, I'm finding it just very challenging to see when we rely pretty significantly on revenues from our convention that we may be facing some, some penalties against those revenues that will impact ACB further down the road. So it's, it's a hard decision. Um, in so many ways, the other two that I thought were very hard decisions at those times seem like easier ones than this one, because it, there's just so many unknowns. Um, so it's, it's a challenge for me um, I, I want to see us go back, but I certainly have been hearing from many, many people that they're concerned about going to a convention, being safe at a convention, and traveling. Um, they're worried about the economics of things, and that'll have impacts on a lot of our activities at convention as well. So to me, it's not just, you know, I want to have a hybrid convention and get back to, to normal because... There, this isn't going to be quite normal. This is a hybrid and there's a lot to it. Um, so I think we have to think very carefully and you know, I, I wanna do what's best for ACB, not what's best for me or for you <laughs> or for <laughs> any of the board members sitting at this table. I wanna be sure that ACB can, can grow from this, can weather this, can, can move ahead in a strong way. So I don't know how I'm gonna vote exactly yet, but it's something I've been giving a lot of thought to. So thank you. Thank you, Kim. And then I'm going to recognize, uh, I, well, I don't know if I'm good enough to do that. So I'm just gonna go alphabetically. So I'm gonna recognize uh, Chris Bell, board of directors. Uh, thank Chris. you, Dan. Um, yes. So I'm uh, not gonna repeat what other folks have said. I'm in, I'm in favor of uh, uh, doing the hybrid convention. I, I do want to emphasize, I think, that uh, even though we may have been uh, shoved in the direction of having a virtual option to, uh, in addition to the in-person convention, that we should continue that practice, uh, COVID or no COVID, because I think that has expanded uh, our participation and the ability of people who, for whatever reason, don't want to go, but still want to participate in ACB. So uh, and I want to emphasize that piece. The other piece I want to emphasize is a process piece. Um, I don't believe that the board uh, really has enough information as to the intentions of it, our members about whether or not they intend to go in person, 
Um, and I'm not even sure I'm comfortable with the board making the decision in, a, in another year. I, obviously, we have to make that decision right now. But I'm, I'm kind of coming around to the view that at least in 2023, uh, we ought to have some uh, legitimate way of surveying our membership as to their intentions of coming to the convention. Obviously, that's not a contract that can change. And maybe, depending perhaps on what that survey shows, uh, a, a vote by the membership as to how the convention should be handled. Um, and so I just want to throw those issues out on the table. Um, but thanks very much. Thank you, Chris. And now we'll hear from Jeff Bishop, ACB Board of Director. Uh, I have nothing further to add, actually, Dan. Um, I just would like to say that I think more data about the survey, even this year, might have been helpful to help determine exactly how many members will attend. Uh, but other than that, that was that's my only comment. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Jeff. And Donna Brown. Uh, yeah, I, I want to begin by saying I'm glad I'm not Jeff Tom in this conversation because he's at the very end. Um, <laughs> I thought it'd go in the other way. And then I said, oh, I'll get it all messed up. So <laughs> thank, uh, thank you, Donna. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you for the opportunity. I don't really have really anything new to say, except that, you know, whatever decision the board makes tonight and if we go hybrid, which I'll just say is, is going to be my vote. Um, but it, if we go hybrid, I, I will certainly respect all of our members' decisions of whether they come or don't come. And I'm hoping, and I'm sure the rest of the board will respect people's decisions. And I just, you know, hope people make the, the decision that, that they feel comfortable with and, and feel safe about. So. Thank you, That's Donna. It. Thanks, Donna. And uh, Jim Crott. Uh, board of Director. Can you hear me? Yes, yes. we can, Jim. Hello. Yes, we can hear you, Jim. I uh, I don't have anything to add. I think the board is put in a very challenging and difficult position. But I I think from a financial perspective, at least um, we have to lose less money if we go hybrid. So then canceling right now. Um, I think from a practical um, position, uh, we have come a long way COVID-wise, and uh, the, the population is restless and moving about more, and I think people have to make their choices. But I, I don't think it's inappropriate to create an opportunity to have um, a live convention with a hybrid component. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Uh, Doug Powell, ACB Board of Director. Thanks, Dan. Um, what, another question came to mind that I should have asked, you know, Janet, do we have, <clears throat> excuse me, do we have any sense of, um, uh, exhibitors and sponsors, how how responsive they are go are to uh, having an in person uh, component to the convention. The spot the advert the the exhibitors 
we already have about a third of what we have for the convention registered, which really at the beginning of April, that's really pretty good. So I think the exhibitors and most of the exhibitors, Michael and I've been having monthly open exhibit calls with any of the prospective exhibitors and they all appear to be anxious to come to the convention in person. I've only had one or two who've said, if we opt not to come in person, can we still participate virtually? And, you know, if they become an exhibitor, the answer to that would be yes, of course. Um, but they all seem to be interested in coming, but they're also very happy we are going to have virtual port components to our exhibit hall as well so that they can interact with people who will not be in Omaha. And Great. sponsors, again, our sponsorship is usually a little later in the year that we get our confirmation from sponsors. So it's kind of hard to answer that question. Sure. All right. So, Doug, this is Eric. And, yeah, uh, we, Eric goes to we, say we do one have, more. Yeah, we've got three diamond level sponsors that are committed uh, as of now. So, Microsoft, JP Morgan Chase, and literally this week, uh, Facebook announced, uh, they, they sent us a note letting us know that they would, in fact, be a, a diamond level $25,000 sponsor for a second year in a row. So, and there are uh, a whole slew of companies that we are in the process of, of outreach with right now. So, and a lot of the, a lot of the interaction that we've been having has been very positive. Speaking with them about about supporting the, the in-person convention and even having their, their presence at our convention. Thanks. Yeah, because I've been sort of where Kim is. Um, I, I, you know, I, I love being at home and being able to, <laughs> being able to pop from one uh, room to the other on my, uh, on my Victor Reader stream that, you know, uh, and the, uh, you know, the, the different uh, ACB media channels. Um, and, but it's not about me and my, you know, my personal uh, safety and that kind of thing. Uh, on the other hand, we, we, uh, uh, I heard this morning that Shanghai is totally shut down. Shanghai, China is totally shut down because of the, uh, a, a new outbreak. Um, that can, if it, if, if that spreads, you know, in the next few months, uh, that concerns me a lot. But it concerns me, I, not only does it concern me as an individual and, you know, for health reasons, but it also concerns, as, as Kim said, a, a couple of people have said, uh, the convention contributes quite a bit to our, um, to our budget each year. And um, I, I'm, I'm hoping that I'm hoping that the the uh, leniency that that Janet was talking about in terms of uh, the hotel and the convention center working with us on some of those minimums, I'm hoping that um, that would you know that would offset you know I hate to I hate to say no we're not going to come and 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 uh, you know know and know that we're going to have one hundred eighty five thousand dollars in uh, that we're going to have to spend <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that we'll have enough people that to make it worthwhile to have a, an in-person component 
from the standpoint of the other programs and services that we're trying to uh, use our budget to do for our members and, and for the blindness community in general. So that's, those are the questions that I'm sitting with right now. Thank you, Doug. Uh, uh, next, Pat Sheehan, ACB Board of Director. And um, we'll go along a lot with what said. But, uh, I think that a hybrid is going to be a big step for this. There are risks involved with how we're doing it. I think the planning is going well. I would like to see ACB move forward uh, with a hybrid. I think that the um, uh, certainly this is our first year doing it, so we will make mistakes. We will get better as time goes on, and I think this is the way we're going to see future conventions. So I think we step out with good people. Do the I think it's a good thing for ACB, and I certainly think uh, folks can make their own decisions. As Donna, you said earlier, I respect that, uh, but my vote is going to be for a hybrid convention. Thank you. Thank you, Pat. Uh, next, uh, Kenneth Simeon Sr., ACB Board of Director. I hear unmuted. Yep. Kenneth is muted right now. Kenneth is muted. Okay. I think there he is. Nope, he's still muted. All right, I'll move on to Connie why Kenneth works at getting unmuted. So uh, Connie Sims, ACB Board of Director. Um, I see that Kenneth has just got unmuted, Dan. So if you oh, want okay. him to go. Well, thank you, Connie. Okay, back yes. to Kenneth. Yes, okay, y'all are Dan. so polite. Thank you so much. Yes, go ahead, Kenneth. Okay. Uh, thank you all. So I, I was actually talking to myself over here saying that uh, I echo everything that everyone else has said. And I carefully considered like seven factors after I've spoken to several members uh, through the past few, uh, let's say, weeks, uh, even some of our affiliates uh, sharing thoughts. Uh, considered all of those, and I'm one of those folks that really uh, am going to just jump out of my uh, comfort zone because uh, like something like Doug said, uh, you know, it's, it's really easy to just move from one room to another uh, when you're at home but there's still something lacking also during those times when we are just being complacent in one space for so long and it's not healthy for us either. But I've considered all those factors, but one other thing I wanted to just bring up that for us to consider the work of the host committee. If you've ever been a part of a, a member of a host committee, there's so much work that takes place that goes on and they're trying to plan. And uh, one day I had a chance to speak to Jim and it was just, uh, something that would ring, ring a bell with me to know that all the work that they're doing or have done to all of a sudden find out that we're just going to say we're not going to even try to even allow some members to go, uh, that would be, uh, I would say, not so positive. So out of everything else being considered, I have to consider that as well. And so I definitely uh, am moving out of my comfort zone and wanted, as well as I'm hoping others to consider too to move forward with respecting the wishes of those that would want to be in, in person to assist ACB in meeting commitments. And also it could be a benefit for us in other ways too, uh, socializing again, 
but we definitely want everybody to consider their own health and safety. And I like the fact that being a part of the Convention Steering Committee, uh, we talked about safety protocols that we put, will be put in place and you'll have choices. And that's the best thing our members can choose what they want to do, uh, even doing uh, meetings if they attend. But at least we are offering the high, uh, excuse me, if we offer hybrid, uh, those are who are wanting to be, feel more safe at home and comfortable, they will also have that opportunity to join in and participate uh, in voting and all. So I am leaning definitely toward uh, opening the door for anyone who wants to be there in person uh, to choose, make that their own choice and do that. And those who want to choose to be home, they can do that and we'll still be able to communicate uh, back and forth. So uh, as we move forward, I'll look forward to the vote. Thank you, Kenneth. Uh, next we'll hear from uh, Connie Sims, ACB Board Thanks. of Director. Hi, Connie. Hi, Dan. Thank you. Um, you know, everyone has really said basically kind of how I feel. I am. Um, we're not unfortunately going to make everyone happy, no matter how we vote. I mean, um, but as one of the members said to me today, um, we as members voted you guys in to represent us and to trust to tr that we trust what you're going to do for the best for all of us. And that really meant a lot to hear that from a, a member saying, we voted for you guys as board members, officers to represent us, knowing that you're not always gonna have easy decisions to make and um, not everyone's gonna be happy. So it, it's not easy. Um, for me, I'm probably the closest one to Omaha I think Omaha will be easy for me to get to this year. I, I'm high risk, um, but I do plan on going. I think um, I've been reading this stuff and I, I believe that, you know, there could be a lot of reasons why people not go. If it's not COVID, if it's financial, if it's travel, it, it, everyone always has to make their own personal decisions. And, me as a board member, I know how I feel personally, but I feel looking at the numbers, I went back and I looked at the numbers. I've been visiting with Janet, I've been visiting with other ones. And I feel like as an organization, we need to try to go hybrid. We need to try to financially make this work the best we can and not lose as much money as we possibly can. So we know that we probably will probably lose some money, unfortunately, and hopefully we don't. But that's a risk that an organization or a business takes. And um, sometimes we just have to do that. So I, I hope that everyone understands that this isn't an easy decision for any of us, but we all care about our members. If we didn't care about all of you, none of us would be serving on this board. So. I hope the members understand that. So I, I hope everyone just appreciates that. So that's what I have to say. Thank you, Connie. Uh, next we'll hear from Michael Talley, a speed board member. Hi, Dan, and thank you. Thank you for giving us the chance to, to voice our opinion. I'd just like to say that it's definitely, I can understand both sides of it. For one who's been immunosuppressed uh, for two years, um, off and on for eye surgeries and 
um, things like that, I, I definitely understand needing to be uh, vigilant and very careful. Uh, there's definitely something to be said about community, about camaraderie, about fellowship, about being together for those who feel comfortable with it. And I, I think that also, though, there's something, there's a word that I haven't heard yet, and that's momentum. I, I, I am scared that if we do not um, at least hold an in-person um, convention with a virtual component, that we may very well lose some momentum. This organization has grown and worked really hard over the last few years to bring on new members and 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 keeping those members is one of our biggest challenges and then getting newer members and I just it does worry me I know that on a state level uh, for our affiliates that have not been meeting via zoom um, or some kind of virtual component we have lost members who didn't feel that connection that didn't feel that something was being done or accomplished um, I, I think Zoom is great, and it's very, um, it, it, it's easy. It, it, it is. It is nice to sometimes not to have to travel. But also, I'm a relationships kind of person, and I believe in just at least offering opportunity for those who feel comfortable. Um, I hope that we will provide an in-person uh, convention with a virtual option. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. And uh, last but not least, Jeff Tom. Uh, ACB board member. So I won't speak too long. <clears throat> I'm going to vote yes, and I will be there. I'm doing so for many reasons, most all of which have already been said. Um, financial, of course, but I really like uh, Michael's, you know, discussion of momentum. But I do uh, want to state one caveat, and it really flows from what many people have already said. For those members who do go to convention, it is going to be a different atmosphere, a, a different climate than ever before. And if members, no matter what their views, no matter which way they think should be handled, if we don't, um, if we don't maximize the grace toward others uh, in this in-person convention part of the setting, then we could have some really, you know, regrettable confrontations and frustrations. So I hope that people, no matter where they sit on this whole, you know, you know, COVID-19 pandemic view, will recognize that other members may have differences with them, and that everyone will behave as as good ACB members should. Because if they don't, then the convention could be a little bit frustrating. Thank you, Jeff. And uh, just uh, a few comments from myself before we call the question is, I've, I, I also have thought long and hard about this. And as all of our board has said, that this is not an easy decision and it's not a, a decision that does not come without uh, some significant risks that have to be weighed uh, both financially, from a health perspective, uh, 
a COVID, you know, a, a, a true, uh, a, from that side, health perspective, as well as a mental health perspective. And I first want to echo and, and reinforce what Jeff, Tom has just said. If we move forward with a hybrid convention, to me, it's so important that we really go into the convention <clears throat> with uh, a thought of kindness, of grace, of compassion uh, for us to please don't turn this into anything that, that has political overtones. We're all blind and low vision people and we're spending our own money and time and talent and treasure to you know, participate. So please, if we move forward with a hybrid convention, let's, let's please treat each other with, with respect, one of our five core values. And re addressing the survey, I don't know if folks remember this, but we took a survey mm -hmm. of those that attended our convention, our virtual convention in 2021. And one of the questions we asked them was, do you, would you attend a convention in person or virtual if we offered a hybrid convention uh, in 2022? And uh, just so you know, that by going to the virtual conventions the last two years, and I'm sure everybody's aware of this data point, but we more than doubled our attendance at our annual convention by over the last two years when it moved to a virtual environment. So I think what we all learned and we all have promised as a board is that it has truly made a difference to our membership to be inclusive and for folks not have to be in person in order to enjoy an ACB conference and convention. And so I think as we have this discussion, we've all agreed that the virtual part will always be a component, at least for the foreseeable future for our conventions. But the survey results showed that 56% of our folks would be planning on participating virtually next year. 36% would like to participate in person and 8% were undecided at that point in time. Now, if you just take those numbers and extrapolate them over the 1600 or so that participated and actually registered for our convention last year, that would be a number of about 600. And if you, if you, if I go to a simple 60, 40, cause it's easier for me to do the math that way. <laughs> it, it's about 640 people in person and 960 people virtually. Now I know those numbers can sh shift and, and, and move, but it did show me that there, at least at that point in time, which was in a pretty tough time with the pandemic, that we did have at least a, a strong portion of our people who attended the convention that were really looking forward to it being in person. Um, so I do believe that, um, you know, I, I totally agree with also what Michael said related to momentum that I've seen this in our state affiliate where our local chapter level and our state level, we have Zoom meetings and it's not that people don't participate, but nowhere near the numbers when we used to meet in person. 
And Florida Council of the Blind is always kind of just the way the timing of our conventions go. They're in the May-June timeframe. We actually did have a hybrid convention last year. And we kind of, the, the Florida Council of the Blind Board had to go through a similar discussion back and forth, worried of how many people would come in person. And we ended up, I think, with 125 people registered and 100 came in person, 80%. Uh, and, the, and the rest participated on Zoom and everybody had a, had a good experience. So I, I sensed there that people really wanted to get together and see each other, but do it in a safe manner inside the hotel. The other thing that I think is different with a convention compared to the DC Leadership Conference, at the DC Leadership Conference, we are in a confined space for eight to 10 hours a day together, all around tables in a very close confined area. That's just the nature of a DC Leadership Conference. At a convention, there is, I believe, the opportunity for individuals in person to have as much or little contact as they feel comfortable with. I mean, there's many people who, who don't participate in the general sessions or they listen to the general sessions on ACB media. Uh, there's folks that come primarily for the idea of enjoying the tours and the exhibit hall. Uh, it's a much larger space where people can move around independently it's in July where people can comfortably go outside and there, my understanding is in the Omaha area by the convention center, there's many outdoor cafes and restaurants and opportunities for folks to be outdoors where there's a lot smaller risk of uh, contracting the virus. And so for, for these reasons, I, I too will, will, as part of, I was part of the convention steering committee. I do hope we, we move forward and take the risk because it truly is a risk. Um, but I do think it's a calculated risk and the value outweighs the risk to, to support a hybrid convention. But with that said, I will now, um, do we want just a voice vote or would you all like to have a roll call vote for this? Roll call. I think roll, roll call would probably roll be call. the best. Roll yeah. call would be appropriate. Okay. I so. Then I will ask uh, Denise Colley, our wow. ACB secretary, to call the roll. Vote yay if you are for the hybrid convention or no if you are against the hybrid convention and only want the virtual convention. Either way, we're having a virtual convention. All right. Mm -hmm. Thank you all. Deb Cook-Lewis? Yes. Ray Campbell? Yes. I say yes. David Trott? Yes. Kim Charlson? Yes. Chris Bell? Yes. Jeff Bishop? Yes. Donna Brown? Yes. Jim Pratt? Yes. Doug Powell? Yes. Kenneth Semian? Yes. Pat Sheehan? Yes. Connie Sims? Yes. Michael Talley? Yes. Jeff Tom? 
Yes. Mr. Chair, the vote is unanimous. The yeses have it. Thank, thank you, Denise. And thank you, ACB board. I, I, this is not an easy decision and I know we're all, uh, we're all keeping our fingers crossed. And so we, uh, we will work very hard now to move forward and make this the best hybrid convention that anybody's ever had. So I know we can do it. So now I will ask uh, Janet to come back and talk about the second recommendation that came out of the convention steering committee, which was how do we want to put the COVID uh, guidelines uh, in place around the um, attendance at the personal portion of the uh, ACB conference and convention in Omaha. All right. So the convention steering committee came up with three kind of scenarios, basically, mm -hmm. or three, three topics, I should say. And these were done a month ago. So, you know, thoughts and things may have changed a little bit since then. But the first one is a vaccine requirement where all individuals, um, who are coming to the convention would have to show proof of vaccination before they would receive their uh, convention badges. And we would have to work with individuals. And if someone had a medical or a religious objection, we would have to, we would have to work through that with the individual. Um, we might ask also for a COVID test that had been administered within the last 48 hours uh, prior to registration of someone, someone to have proof of a positive or negative COVID test, sorry, if um, they did not provide proof of vaccination. We did decide if we do go this route, we would end up getting a security guard or someone to do this because we don't want to put our staff or our volunteers in the position of uh, having to be the vaccine card checker and enforcer. So that is the vaccination card recommendation. Uh, also, as far as masks are concerned, they will be optional. We talked about setting up areas in general session and in the meeting rooms as to where people who choose to be unmasked would sit. Um, this may or may not, not sure how feasible this is, but I think we can work with it. Um, but that would be up to the board what they decided they wanted to do about that. And uh, then the third leg of this stool is the hotel and uh, the city of Omaha, they do not have a mask requirement at the moment. The hotel did say in the convention center that it, their staff is not required to currently wear masks, but if we requested it of them that they would do so. And those are kind of the three legs that we have to discuss as to making our attendees safe and how we feel about doing these three items. Right. So yeah. our, I'll open it up for any questions, uh, discussion with uh, Janet. Okay, go ahead, Deb. I had just a couple of questions. One of one of them, um, this issue of of the hotel and the staff, and and I know there are no mask requirements in probably the whole state of Nebraska, except medical facilities, maybe. Um, but um, um, the I am assuming the hotel has 
not does not also have any expectation that their employees have been vaccinated or not. I, I guess I shouldn't make an assumption, but um, is, I don't know is that, there that, that piece. Okay, I don't know. Um, so I think that's a factor, um, and 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 might be a factor in our masking requirement. I mean that because you know if 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 we're going to be with a lot of people regularly. So that's one thing. The other question that I had is um, we had talked at some point, I think, about whether it might be possible for us to set up an arrangement to be able to upload the vaccination proof um, in advance, which is what I've done with lots of places. Um, not so much that the testing, but uh, but the vaccination proof itself. And um, I don't know if we've looked into to that to adding that in a, in the process of our registration or anything along those lines because that would sure make it a lot easier um, when when we get to the actual um, convention. And a kind of uh, I know the, the this is Dan the the convention I'm going to this coming week, uh, that, mm -hmm. that was one of the options that you yeah. could upload yeah. your-, your Yeah. Um, May I speak to that? Mm -hmm. We have a lot of people who, for whatever reason, have someone assist them with their registration over the telephone, one of our registration cadres. I think there are people who would be able to do that, but I think- more than half of the people who register probably would not be able to avail themselves of uploading yeah. the vaccination yeah. card. Oh, so yeah. I'm not mm -hmm. saying we couldn't make it an option, but I don't think many people would do it. Your other question as to, I don't think we can ask the hotel to require their employees to be vaccinated if that's no their... I'm not I'm not okay. suggesting that we can do that I'm just asking if we know anything about that because as we think about our masking requirement I think it goes up higher when we're, if we're talking about whether very many of their employees at all are vaccinated so well we need to know Hilton's uh, policy on yeah it. exactly I could I can check. I can't check yeah. right now, but I can no, certainly no. check and let the board know. Yeah. And the other, but you did say that the hotel, if we asked, they would wear, have they will all their, wear masks. They would mm -hmm. all wear masks yes. in our, yes. in our functions. Okay. And I know that people that I have spoken with in Omaha on the host committee and also people that I've worked with at the hotel, at the convention center, if the conversation came up about vaccinations, they all indicated that they were vaccinated. Now, that's just a very small percentage. Yeah, but that's a very but, good sign. Yeah, yes. sure. Okay, that's, thank you. Uh, this is Jeff. Uh, okay, go ahead, Jeff. And I'd just like, and I don't know if this is the appropriate process, but if it is, I would like to amend the recommendation to to allow the uh, option of, or well, to require the registration contain the option of uploading the the uh, vaccine cards. That 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 be an option. That, yeah, yeah, that it be. Not, not, I would second that. Okay. Yeah, I agree. Because I, I would third that. I mean, it, yeah. if those of us that can do it, it 
yeah. that would yeah. that, that would eliminate a little time. And yeah. I don't yeah. want to exactly. accidentally get there without it. And <laughs> that's my point. That's right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, oops, or the dog ate it in the airport. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, blame yeah. your yeah. poor dog. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's and, paper. And, and, she would. Yeah, <laughs> so, that's true. It, well, and the legislation and, is long enough as it is. So yeah. we don't want to make it any longer if we can avoid it. Right. Right. That would. That would. Uh, right. Um, for for those folks, you would. You, and, yeah, in the we, and you're in the registration line. You you can be there for more than that's around a lot of people. You could be there for a while. Hey, 2019, yeah. it went really quickly. It actually did. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so we have uh, a well, we have a motion and a second to amend item uh, A to say uh, that we would add uh, an option for um, for upload of your vaccine verif card verification. May I say if it's I, I don't know if Nancy's still here. I don't know. We'd have to check with our webmaster to see. I'm assuming it would be feasible, but I don't want to say that we can. You know, I don't want to say 100 percent that we can do it. Well, although Janet, I, we might have to go somewhere else to do it. I mean, it might not be in the registration. It might be that we have to go. At, but but it's not hard. I mean, so many organizations are doing it. I'm not sure yeah. if we can tie it to the registration form. Okay, that's that, fair. Thank you. If so, whatever. All right. No, that's whatever. fair. I'll take care. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, you're, you're so what, I'm. Am I hearing that? Let's say somebody's coming to me, and they did not um, include the vaccination card with registration. I could take my phone and take a picture of it, and as long as I have a picture of it as verification, then we're fine. Or do you want it tied to that registration? No. Is no, I think we're saying I want to we're talking to about at home be before they've ever come. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so Dan Spoon registers for the convention. And then I take a picture of my vaccination card and I upload it to, to somewhere. To somewhere yeah. tied to my registration number. I don't know. It's a members at acb.org. I don't know where it is. I don't know. You, you guys couldn't work to that. Yep. But you, you upload it there and then you have met that requirement because you've shown your proof of vaccination. Okay. But it Dan, wouldn't, what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to ask the question is if I just take the picture of it and move you along. And then when we have time, tie it to your registration, that would be sufficient. Yeah. yeah right. But oh, we're at, talking about at home, Nancy, we're talking about before we've ever gotten Even before there. we uh, get there. Okay. Yeah, that way, and, that way yeah. you've already. So when you're doing your registration, yeah. you have the option to upload yeah. your card. Yeah, right we don't care there. how you get them from us once we get there. We can, you can take a picture of it if you want to. Um, that's <laughs> not a problem. But what, but what we want to do is upload it somewhere so that we don't even necessarily have to worry about that anymore. We don't have to worry about bringing the card or having the card. So and we if already it's not feasible to, uh, to actually have it as part of the registration form, because that yeah. was what yeah. I was saying. I didn't know. Uh, Deb said, which makes sense that we could just do it some other way, just so yeah. it was tied. It got just so you could you tie guys. it back to us when you got it. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Chair. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, let me ask you this. Uh, I recognize you, but I didn't know. Nancy, are you comfortable with what the what the what it the. Is capability we're asking for is yeah, yeah. so what we we have sort of like that with our scholarship application yes people you do need, exactly people, yeah mm -hmm. people need to provide us documents it would be yeah. the same same thing. thing yes exactly exactly it's just, the, it's just getting the coding into the registry right and you and and it's not required to do it this way but you could yeah okay all right now, now i'll recognize denise go ahead denise i think you answered my question because i was a little confused so once you upload 
your card mm -hmm. that will then go to that would that then would go to the Minneapolis office as a part of right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, like the scholarship so thing. How they would get the list. <laughs> mm -hmm. Dan, I have a question. This is Kim. Sure, go ahead. Kim. Um, just uh, sometimes people just hear the word upload and their brains kind of turn off, like they don't mm -hmm. think they know how to do it. Um, mm -hmm. But would we consider something like if if you had um, you know the, a scanned image of your both sides of your vaccination mm -hmm. card or one side i can't mm -hmm. remember if you need both mm -hmm. but or it's all one-sided but um a pdf of of the image yep. you know an image file that could be emailed somewhere a lot of people are sure perfectly mm -hmm. fine emailing something and they think yeah. upload is like only programmers do it you know <laughs> so yeah, yeah. That would yeah, be acceptable, I would it, assume, if you. Yeah, I, I think maybe we don't even have to say upload, but but we mm -hmm. we need a, a electronic image of your of yeah. your vaccination card that shows right. proof of vaccination. Uh, the only concern I have about doing it that way, and and there might be a way to resolve that, but the only concern I have about doing it that way is that then I get there and I say I did it, and they say they didn't get it. So um, the advantage of of giving it with a form is that you'll probably get a receipt back or something that says you did, or you can go back and look at your own form and see that it did and see it up there, you know, that kind of thing. So um, I think before we really commit to saying you can email it, um, we, um, we, um, you know, need to figure out how, how oh. people would have a verification well, that it was actually could, received. What you could do is you could um, provide, say, hey, you you can click here or click or press enter here, provide an image of your vaccination card. If you have difficulty doing this or unable, you know, contact, you know, have someone to contact and then it could be provided in another way if you wanted to. Well, to they can just that. bring it. If they yeah, can't they do it that it. way, I don't want to make this too difficult. No, we don't want to make yeah, it no. too hard. No. Um, yeah. so oh, guys, I'm going to, yeah. I don't know that we need to solve it. Yes. Yeah. I think we yeah. just need to say we want the capability we'll make it, to yeah. have an electronic yeah. 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 option. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. If yeah. That, if that would be okay with yeah. everybody. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's, go ahead, Connie. Connie and then David. Yes. Um. I was asked, um, a member just asked, was wondering too, if that brought up about um, employees or whatever in the hotel, but what about the volunteers? Are the volunteers going to be, have to show a vaccination card or show a negative point. test? Good point. Well, that, like, let's don't go yeah, there yet. Really uh, well, but let's stick I mean, yeah, on, the, uh, yeah. on the on the motion that's on the floor right. and then save that, Connie. Uh, the motion that's on the floor of uh, including an option for uh, an image upload for the, or an, a, a virtual. Yeah, electronic. Yeah, electronic. electronic. Thank electronic you. That's a good card. one. Electronic yeah. uh, uh, card. Uh, submission. For proof yeah, of electronic submission. Submission for proof mm -hmm. of vaccination. Mm -hmm. Okay. Any other discussion on that amendment? to the rule, a, rule A. Dan, can I ask who made the motion just so I have it clear? Uh, I believe I Jeff, Jeff Tom, Tom made the motion and, and Deb um, seconded it. Yes. Lewis Thank seconded you. it. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Hearing no other discussion, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? Okay. All right. So, um, Connie, I'm going to 
go on down through B and C, and then you can uh, then we'll then we'll discuss volunteers. That sound okay? Uh, That's fine. David, you forgot me too. Oh, I'm sorry, David. Gosh, I, I already called the question. I really stuck that, there. Okay. I'm sorry, I'll David. It's going to unvote now. <laughs> yeah. uh, I may change my vote today. No, uh, I just wanted since it's part of the uh, showing your card and that kind of thing. I wanted to talk a little bit about how we're going to handle people who are not vaccinated or whatever for any reason, and they give religious or whatever reference. How are we going to handle that? I mean, we, we can easily say we we got to have a positive co I mean, a negative COVID test. But where where are we getting this test? Are we administering it, or they got to have it before they come? Uh, well, well, that's that's um, that's item B on the on the uh, I, uh, uh, no, that's I think part of item A. You're correct. Yeah. Uh, so yes, yeah, so your question is, um, uh, you know, are we gonna? To me, I don't want to get too onerous with this. If people claim a medical or religious exemption, I don't know that I'm looking for a letter from their from their religious institution or anything like that. I mean, it seems like that's kind of a yeah. personal choice, uh, just that they, I think that if they claim that exemption, uh, we, you my thoughts, it. we would honor that, but then we need to then talk about the next part, which is the, um, the, the negative COVID test. Now, I did have several members that contacted me today um, and I know this is the further away you get, the less value it has, but they were concerned that they were going to have to take this test. They felt like they had to take this test before they got on a plane and flew to Omaha mm -hmm. and they had to get there and they had to take it and they had to get the results. Test. They felt much more comfortable if we made that 72 hours rather it's than usually 48 hours. 72 because, because it's just the the logistics of our community mm -hmm. getting a mm -hmm. getting a, a test completed. Yeah, know? I don't see that that's a problem. Yeah, it's usually 72 yep. these days. It, uh, you know, so when we did this, and I don't think we knew we had much data to work with. So um, we just grabbed a figure. Yeah, I, I would. Do we need a motion to, to I, change I, them in? I, the I think I think we do. I, I would uh, I would Second. move that we change the 48 hours to 72. <laughs> Okay, I'll Deb's moved, that. and was that Jeff yeah, again? That's second Jeff seconded. Yeah. Okay, we're a team. See, yeah. you are a team. Yeah. All right. <laughs> any any discussion on going from forty eight to seventy two? And Dan, I just want to say one thing. Now, yeah. the people that contacted you, they understand that they don't need to have a COVID test if they show their vaccination card. Yeah, yeah. These were okay. They, this this okay. was a person who had sure. a. I just wanted to make had, sure that had, people had a medical that. medical exemption. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, and, and I, I hate to be a pain on this vaccination card, but what to do with this vote, I've got a question about it as well. Okay, uh, on the moving from 48 to 72. So any other discussion on going from 48 to 72 for the, for the negative test in lieu of the vaccination card? All right, hearing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 All right, and then David, back to you with a comment. Okay, I don't, I don't want to be a pain on this, but it's going to be a question <laughs> asked, so I might as well mm -hmm. ask the mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. When we say vaccination card, do we mean 
it doesn't matter how many you've had or whatever. I, I want to be clear on that. Well, and th- at least the guidelines I've seen in all these, it's it's that you had a vaccination through the through the federal program. It's yeah. I, I don't think we want to get into you've had one, but two, or you've had the booster. I I don't think we want to go down that, that, that path. That, that's my point. I didn't think we did either. So, but I, but that's just my opinion. I think as a board, we need to agree on that. But to me, if you have proof of vaccination, that's what we're looking for. This is Deb. Mm-hmm. Everywhere I've been that has required proof of vaccination has required that you are what they would define as fully vaccinated with the vaccination that you got. So, you know, the original vaccination was was a shot and a booster. And I got so sick on that. Oh, but anyway, the, the, the shot, the shot and the booster and, and granted now many people have had one booster and it sounds like it's going to be possible for many people to have a second booster. But those other boosters have never been part of the requirement. So, for example, for the state um, that it's it's the vaccine and its associated booster meet the original initial requirement. And that's what people do require. And yep. if I remember correctly, that was all on one card. You you it got is, both. And so are your both. other boosters. So are your boosters. Boosters. No, 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 no. I, I have I have two cards. I got you a do? new card Ooh. for my booster. Really? Oh, oh I did. That's straight. I did. If yeah, you I changed didn't. shot or you changed provider, you might have. But if you went to the same provider and got the same shot, everybody I've seen, uh, you know, at least in my observation of collecting these hot with mm-hmm. people. Um, I got mine two different places and it's all on the same card. And they still put it on the same yep. card. Yeah, so yep. that's unusual. Yep. But regardless here. of that, it's 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 generally considered to be the vaccination and a booster. Um, a, so so a you mean vaccination. So, so you so you mean like Two Pfizer, two Moderna, or right. one Johnson and Johnson. Yes, right, right. Okay, yes. correct. Okay. So this is Jeff, and last night, no- uh, Deb, I totally agree with you. By the way, but I want to say this: this discussion came up last night in our, you know, special interest circle group, and people were taking a different position mm-hmm. that vaccination shouldn't have to mean. Booster, and yet, if you're going following the yeah. CDC guidelines, they it would tell it you does. that if you had a vaccination a year ago, that vaccination is done with; it's gone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I agree with you, Deb, completely, and I think that's the way we ought to, uh, re- what we ought to require. Are you two saying the same, Jeff? Yes, what are we you are. Saying? I'm, I'm getting okay. two different. We are. No, yeah. we're saying uh, the same thing. I'm not in. Uh, he's really? my lawyer. He's representing me. Deb and I are totally it's, in it's sync. It's the two shots of yeah. Moderna. It's the two shots of yes. Pfizer or the one shot. Okay, of but yes. regardless of how long ago you had it, that, that's yes. my question. Yes, Correct. that's okay. the way it works, like for state government or okay. that yeah. sort of thing. Okay. Yeah. Right. So, so it's not the. Two Pfizer's plus the booster of Pfizer. It's no. just right, the first right. two Pfizer shots. Okay. okay. It, yeah. Right. It's, it's that and that's you had fine. A shot I, just, I wasn't bo- sure what Jeff was. Yeah, he's saying that's okay. Okay. So, and, and, and if they don't have that and they come up and they say, well, I've had COVID, so I'm, I'm covered. Then we're still going to want a, a test, a yes. negative test. Yes. That's right. Yes. 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 Okay. Yep. Yes. And this is Chris Bell, and I, uh, I want to be clear that we will accept any test result within that 72-hour period, whether it's PCR or antigen, right? 
Well, it, it's not the personal test, right? Well, that's it, what I'm trying to figure that's out. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, that, yeah, that's the other point I had people call me on because they, you, you, this one person lived in a part of the country where that's not real easy to go. They're in a rural part of the country where it's not real easy to go to get the, um, the I'm terrible with the initials, but the PCR, the PCR, yeah. the PCR. You may not have a clinic close by to go get it right. or a right aid or whatever. But they would be, you know, they'd be willing for I guess their a test is a test for for somebody to witness antigen, their. I think we could get way into the weeds here. I think we yeah. just yeah. determine that a test is a test. That's yeah, my I, feeling. I, I think so too. And again, uh, this okay. is only for exception. The, right. The only primary if you thing, don't have the vaccine. Hopefully vaccine. most everybody will be, is vaccinated. I, I mean, I know there's some that aren't, but. Mm -hmm. Dan, this I, is Kenneth. Yep. Yeah, go ahead, Kenneth. Am I hearing, I want to make sure I'm hearing clearly on this last part. Mm -hmm. uh, when you say a test is a test, that means if you're at home and you take a test, there's no proof that you did it. So anybody could right. say they had That's one. the problem with it is you and don't really have a don't record. Have it. Now, how do, yeah, we need to have a record. But then Dan was saying if somebody can't get to a testing site, don't you get something if you do the at-home test? No. You have a, I mean, you have no. the, the strip if thing, you, but you there's nothing to take with you. You you have the but you could take it in Omaha then we'd have to issue we'd have to give you a test. But then what do we do with them for for? Then then they can't be it's convention sessions. That's the way it is. It'd have to be virtual. Well, Dan, your situation was someone who couldn't get the test, correct? Yes, it was very worried to be about being able to um, to 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 get the test that. They're, in their community, they're they're very rationed, you know, and it has to be wait and you're rationed. And they were very worried that they would be able to get there and get it done. Uh, Seventy two. I mean, they really want to come to the convention, they, they, but if, they're they're very but worried they, that they, but they, they know take this out. far in advance. I mean, could, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm just yeah. throwing it out. No, Seventy two yeah. hour limit, though. That's yeah, right. but I mean, about making the I mean, you can't have everything. Yeah, I mean, yeah you can't. You know. So I don't know if there's, and, you know, maybe I don't know. I'm trying to think of Dan, what if, Dan, what if, they, let me finish the thought and then I'll go to Connie. You know, what, what if we have uh, somebody can do that with IRA and the IRA agent can, can verify that they took the home test and those were the results. I, I'm just trying to think out of the box for our community here, guys. Um, I don't know what the answer is, but there may be more than one way to do this. Uh, but go ahead, Connie. I, you know, living in a in a rural area, and and it for me, you know, it's hard. But I understand what this person is probably talking about because I do know that there are some communities that are rationing and um, don't have the health care available, and and maybe that. What Dan is saying, having Ira do something like that um, would help. I, I guess I would be willing to try to figure out and work with that person or someone, people who would have that questions. But I think something could be figured out. But I, I truly understand what Dan is saying because I, I know of areas 
um, even in my state, that um, things are rationed in some sure. of the very rural. Yeah, I mean, this this person society. was was willing to you know uh, have their their sighted child come over and 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 record them taking the test and bring it whatever whatever we needed to do. They were just very worried that it was going to be they use the same word, Connie, rationing in their particular community that they, right. you know, they didn't want to yeah. make reservations, get hotels, get all this, and then not yeah. be able to sure. get the test so 72 it, hours in advance and then not be able to come. Yeah. So oh, what, okay. what, listen, you know, what listen, David, don't forget me this time. <laughs> I, won't, I won't let him, David. So, okay. but, but I will say that, you know, I, here in South Dakota as president, you know, we've made different exceptions for different things. And I think that's for sometimes with very rural areas and things are being rationed. Um, it's, it's a totally different way of life. And we have to look and accept major um, exceptions that may not even come close to say what Deb, I know Deb is in a, a rural area or yeah. Alabama or whatever, but it, each state and each area is different. So I right, think right. there's um, exceptions that we have to look at because if this person really wants to come, um, I think that we should try to figure out a way to work um, to make it happen because it, there's not a right or a wrong way. It's, it's, yes. it's easier one way or the other, but I think we can work to make it happen. And I don't think we're going to have many of these. No, I don't I think, think this, this is a big, very, this is no. true exception. Yeah. And yeah, David, exactly. uh, David, I will not forget you. Go ahead, David. Uh, since this is probably going to be, in my opinion, in the single digits, yeah, yes. uh, you know your symptoms. Why mm -hmm. could they not bring a home test and it be done on site? I think this is the simplest solution. If you've got symptoms, you don't need to come anyway. Yeah, I, I think, right. I mean, there's just a risk there that you invest all that money, energy. Right, and then and, not get in. And, and then not yeah. get in. Would make right. you check your symptoms. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. This is Deb, and I have a proposal. So um, basically, um, I feel really strongly about people, um, to the extent absolutely possible, having the PCR type test because it's more reliable and it's ve it's very verifiable. They give you something, um, and I agree. so. I, but um, I also recognize that that there could be an exception. We need to keep these exceptions down, so they have to be requested as an exception. People should right. not be able mm -hmm. to just show up, because then we've basically fundamentally said that you're vaccinated unless you're not and it doesn't matter because they'll have yep. done whatever they do and it'll be very hard for us to toss them out mm -hmm. so my 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 proposal is that um we have kind of like we have the i don't consider this to be a reasonable accommodation request of course but but in that same factor of process that if you believe that you should have any kind of a special case worked out with you for you that you have to request it and it has to be approved and the individual plan has to be put together for how you will be satisfactorily tested and verified and Connie's right there could be lots of ways to do this um you know I um I, I think for example 
if if a person were to let their medical provider know that they were going to do this and let them know a lot early, they might be able to, to get a test for them. But that that might not happen either. So, but what I don't want is just everybody copping out and not getting the, the proper test. So um, I want to be able to market that this is by very exception and that those exceptions will be monitored to make sure that that ever how they're fulfilled they are. And I think if we did it in that way, it, we could be able to work through um, people's individual um, circumstances, but I don't really want to say any test. I really want to say the PCR and then that we could have an exception. All right. But the so, PCR doesn't, the PCR test, you won't get a result for, you know, it might be a week. They're usually getting them back quicker than that. Um, at least here, I know they are. Um, they, it is taking a day or so, but that's part of the risk you're going to have to take. You're going to have to get something done um, because all if everybody does the in-home test, we aren't going to know whether anybody did the in-home test. Right. So are you saying that they should make a, a specific request mm -hmm. on our registration form that will have yes. a, you know, a blank? Uh, or they should have to contact making... someone if, if we can't add it to the registration form. We're, we're getting late in the game for making changes up there. So yeah, um, I, I think you would contact. I think it uh, might be just that we tell people that you'll have to contact so and such and such and 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 work through a discussion and a pre-authorization plan. That's fine. If you it, it, show up at the convention and you don't have that, you haven't done any of that, then mm -hmm. you are not coming in. I, I think it's almost kind of, I, I like it in the same vein of the reasonable accommodation that yeah. 14 days in advance, you need to let people, you know, you need let to let someone know. Let yes, somebody know, Janet or Janet or yeah. Nancy. Yeah, ever how we're that, doing that. Yeah. But mm -hmm. yeah, probably Janet, but, but whatever that's decided is, not a big deal to me, but the, but then we have documentation that these are the exceptions. This is how we're verifying these exceptions, um, and and we take care of that, and we and then we can be very individualized about it in that yes. case. Um, the and rural I think person or whatever. Yes, and whatever I, I it is. And when I said yeah. earlier, a test is a test. I didn't realize what you were talking about, and that there wasn't any verification right. from the test. So that's why I didn't mean that. Yeah. that way yeah yeah no no we're just, yeah. just, just how do you solve right. this with the least bit of misery all right so per this Janet, i'm I trying just, to move us along so yeah. per this, i just want uh, to make one comment okay Can i make this one comment yes just and i think what we could recommend for the rural people is just to um you know a lot of times the, the doctor's offices are going to make accommodations especially in the very yeah. rural area because you know they know their patients yeah so I would even say if we could make that as a, I, I agree that we make it an accommodation. Yeah. 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 All right. So, so. back to rule A, because I'd like to finalize any amendments to rule A and vote on rule A. Uh, so we said we moved to 72 hours mm -hmm. uh, as, as one amendment to it. Um, I apologize. I think, oh, there was another amendment that said we have the ability to electronically produce our vaccine cards. Mm -hmm. So we made that amendment. Is there now a, a, a final wording per this conversation that we'd like to make a motion related to the exemption for medical or religious purposes? So we said the test is in 72 hours. And are we going to say we would require um, 
a PCR test, uh, and that if you cannot do a PCR test, that can be handled on an exception basis with 14 mm -hmm. days notice to either uh, our convention chair or our staff convention coordinator to, to yes. work out an alternative plan. Yeah. And, and then as we talk to people about this, we should encourage them to, to actually talk to their providers and stuff more than the 14 days out. Right. Like if this were me, because they're hard to get here, I, um, I would be calling them up next week. <laughs> to, to get to get an appointment for to make sure 72 that they hours had me on yeah, yeah to make sure that they that i could be on the agenda for this and that they'd have the test mm -hmm. well, right. once we have all this information written up we can put it out on the list yes. so that people sure. and i'll put it on the convention list and all mm -hmm. that so people sure. know yeah. what the requirements are going to be so that mm -hmm. hopefully they will be proactive if they're not yeah. vaccinated. But exactly. I believe this is probably not a hope. You know, I don't know what the percentage I, I, is. That I'm will. with I'm with David. I'm thinking this is going to be a, yeah. a very small number. Yeah, yeah. I think this, it this is this, this is Chris. It'll be a small yes. number, but I think we have to bear in mind that we probably will have a legal obligation under the ADA to uh, segregate the medical information. Yes. Um, and okay, I just want we, to make yes, that, we would have that, that obligation. Absolutely, Chris. Yeah. All right. Are we are we ready to call the question to approve Rule A of the guidelines? As you modified it, yes. As modified, yes. 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 Go ahead, somebody. Yes, Denise. Yes, just so uh, that I don't write it up wrong. So we're mm -hmm. saying that this applies to if you're needing to make an exception because you can't get the test. Um, this does not apply to um, your requesting exceptions for um, religious or other medical. Well, the, no. the, first, the first exception is everybody's required to have a vaccine card, produce a vaccine right. card, either right. electronically or at the, as they register at the convention. The exception to that is for a medical or religious exception they can show proof of vaccination, excuse me, proof of a negative test, at least at, at, at a minimum 72 hours prior to registration. And at the event, at the it's a maximum of, yeah, it's 72 hours. Yeah. Uh, how are you saying? It could be less than 72 hours, yes. but no more yeah. than 72 right. so hours. Right, so maximum 72 hours. Maximum right. 72 And you say hours. it, no more than 72. Basically. No more, okay, no more than 72 hours. Right, yeah. right, right. And that we, the the rule there is that we would like that to be a PCR negative COVID test. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There will be an <laughs> exception to that if people cannot provide a PCR test and that would be contacting case by case basis. Case by case basis. Yeah. It would be contacting, you know, our convention coordinator at least 14 days prior to the convention to set up um, a process for those individuals. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Was that good job, Dan? Yes. That yeah, I think that catches it. 
we got it on the recording, if nothing else, yeah, Denise. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I just want to make sure, do we need to have a motion on that last port portion in a Chris second? Chris has made one, right? Chris, you made right. the motion? I think so. Or maybe I thought Dan made it, but I'll make it. I'll, I'll make the motion as stated. By our president. Yeah, by whatever Dan said, and I'll second it. Yeah. <laughs> too. All right. Just want to make sure we have those. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed. All right, we made it through Whew. rule A. Now we're on to <laughs> rule B. Rule B. Oh dear. All right. And that, of course, is the face coverings. And do you want me to read through that again, yeah, Dan? Yes, please, because yeah. that right, was yeah. uh, for some of us that are for some of us that are getting older. That was uh, our short-term memory has yeah. moved on. What did I do with it? Okay. Oh, here it is. <laughs> do, do you need me to read it, Janet? You got it. I uh, maybe. Okay. B. Face masks will be optional. All ACB conference and convention. Official meeting rooms will have a section of the room area identified as a mask required seating area. All participants seated in this area will be required to wear masks. All other seating in the meeting rooms will be a mask optional areas. Uh, Nancy, hold one second. I, I'm hearing rumors that we're off the stream. Can uh, Rick or uh, Larry verify? Uh, we are off the stream, Dan. I don't hear it here in Maryland. Okay. Let's, let's yes, we are. I'm being told we are too. If okay. it happened, uh, it just happened. So let me try and reconnect. Yeah. It. Okay. It just, I'll yeah, pause. Just happened, right? But we, we have a lot of folks out there monitoring the stream, which is good yeah, to hear. Yeah. 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 Thank you for reading, Nancy. As soon time. as you started, I found it. I'll let you, I'll let you read it then once we get back on. <laughs> no, you did such a good job. Didn't All she right. though? I have a question about it when we get yeah. back yeah, on. We're pausing. Yeah. And, and, uh, okay. It, it, I think it was a big buffer because you're now back. Okay. We're, we're back. Right. Okay. All right. Facial uh, let masks. Me, let me, uh, let me, uh, oh. Ray, Ray, Patrick, back. Yeah. Well, Karen says we're back up. Yeah. All the problem right. I'm encountering is, is, you know, it's a huge buffer of about yeah, there's some, seconds. So I'm really being careful yeah, to yeah. make sure I hear you talking about the fact that we're off. And I do hear it. So I think we're good to go. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Okay. Very facial good. Masks, right. Facial masks will be optional. All ACB conference and convention official meeting rooms will have a, sec a section. I told you, Nancy, you did it better than me. Of the room area uh, identified. At, oh, okay. I'm sorry. We'll have a section of the room area identified as a mask required seating area. All participants seated in this area will be required to wear masks. All other seating in the meeting rooms will be mask optional areas. Okay, so this is Bunch of so this is Chris. I have a question. Me so too. Being, being a okay, first lawyer, Chris and then Ray. But go ahead, Chris. Doug, Doug, uh, uh, I, so being a, Doug, so being a nitpicky lawyer. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm 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 going to treat this as being any face covering all right so that can include a bandana a cloth mask or an n95 or kn95 is that what we mean i don't know if Are that's what we mean masks? 
I don't know that that's what we meant. Not on airlines or not. Yeah, no, I know that. Oh, I know. That's why I asked the question. Okay, so well, help us, uh, airline uh, expert Ray. Uh, what is the wording for acceptable so, mask on federal transportation? You need to have a um, mask that it has to fit tight. I think. Um, Trying to remember what the rule says now. Um, it's got over to fit, your nose and mouth. It's got to fit over your nose and mouth, over and, and you have to keep it on except while eating and drinking. And I'm trying. I know. I know bandanas are not allowed. I know face shields. If you 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 can't wear a face shield and substitute that for a mask. So, That's but generally, cloth masks or N95 or KN95 are acceptable. Yeah. Let's just incorporate. Uh, the rules applicable to federal transportation uh, as of as of this date, so that we can always look back to that without having to figure it out all tonight in terms of emotion. Okay, so so face mask as as stipulated in the as stipulated by the, the federal guidelines of- as of. Uh, April 1st, 2022. That's federal good. transportation guidelines. Yeah. F- federal transportation guidelines. Okay. Uh, Denise, you got that? Well, that's my motion. Yeah, uh, we, that's I true. Would, We're only at the motion. Has, Chris has, has made a motion. Seconded. Do we yeah. have a second? Yes, I do have that. Okay. Do I have a second? I'll second that. Okay. Ray is seconded. Any discussion? All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Okay. All right. So now, Denise, you got it. Okay. All right. Then I'm going to bump up to Doug because Doug, I think I've misunderstood Doug's voice for Ray's voice. So Doug and then David and then Ray, did you want the floor or not? I do. Yes. You do. Okay. So Doug, mm-hmm. David, and Ray. So go ahead, Doug. My, my question is logistics. How are uh, people who want to sit in the, in the mask required area going to find that area? That's been a question that we've been asked, and I'm. That's. I, I'll be honest with you. That's going to be a little logistical issue, but Dan's thought was, you know, volunteers could help, or we could say that the masked area was the right side of the room, and the unmasked area was the left side of the room, or something of that nature. Yeah, I think we're basically talking about the ballroom and the, you know, well, you the, said hybrid meeting rooms also. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yes. In the hybrid, yeah. in the hybrid meeting rooms. meeting rooms that that's, that's the right. main area we're talking about here. Yeah. And aren't we numbering the tables? This is Deb. Aren't we um, numbering the tables? We and talked so- about doing that and maybe I should bring up if I may, what we're talking about doing in the general session now is since the um, voting for delegate voting is going to be the next day and there will be time in the afternoon and evening for the delegates to poll their constituents and for people to reach out to their delegates to let them know how they'd like to cast their votes that we don't really need to sit in the ballroom by state or special interest affiliate. So we did talk about, yes, we could number the tables and we could say, Tables one yeah. through 30 are masked tables. Tables 31 through whatever are unmasked. Yeah. We could certainly do that mm-hmm. in the ballroom. Okay. 
Doug, was that answer your question or? That answers my question. Thank you. Okay. Now, David and then Ray. So go ahead, David. Actually, you can pull me out of the queue because that was what I was going to ask okay. about state delegations. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Go ahead, uh, David. I guess I get to bring up all the bad stuff. <laughs> uh, before anybody tells me this won't happen, it does every year. <laughs> so I, I want to know how we're going to handle people who get controversial over the, or contentious, I guess I should say. Because we get people, even in the state yeah. delegation, I'm sitting here. And a volunteer, folks, is not going to be able to enforce yeah. Yeah. anything. Uh, in- so, you know, we really need to look at this. I don't have a problem with it. You know, I'll wear a mask if you tell me to. I don't like it, but I will. Uh, I got my shots and I'll have another. But I do know that we have contention every year over where people see it. And I just see this as adding to the problem. And you're right, Dave. We, David, we've talked about this, and I don't know how we're going to handle it if someone says, well, I'm sitting here and I'm not going to get up and leave. I mean, I, I don't see that we can drag them out of their seat. So I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't have a good answer for you. This is Dan, and, and, and I've had, I have had this conversation a little bit uh, with, with some of folks, uh, including uh, Nancy and, and, and Janet, a little bit, is I think we're in a different world here. And I heard mm-hmm. Jeff earlier talk about we need to have be kind and have grace and all that. And but I really am very uncomfortable at asking our staff and volunteers yes. to be police mm-hmm. it's, it, it, or, or be security mm-hmm. guards or any of this thing. So mm-hmm. I do think what we're going to have to invest in as part of this is we're going to have to hire a couple of security guards that that responsibility will be to you know remind people that that these are the rules uh because i don't i i I do think you're right david i i think just given the environment that the world is living in right now uh some some situations could occur and and i would feel much more comfortable if we could call on a security guard to Mm -hmm. say you know uh, you know, a, a volunteer or a staff person or, or a member, or whoever say, you know, uh, sir, you know, or ma'am, uh, we need, we need your help over here. We've got, you know, we've got a situation. I, I do think that's, that's a, just an investment. I think we're going to have to make as an organization. Well, it, and, and to the, the, the main reason, of course, I knew about the contention in our own group. Mm-hmm. But the airlines are actually asking that the mask mandate be lifted because of the situations like this on airlines. So mm-hmm. uh, for us not to think about it, and, and I agree, uh, you know, that, and we're not requiring. Now, now, the good point is just so we don't, we're not requiring that people wear a mask. We're just saying if you right. we're going to have a section that is that is mask required. So people who really want the comfort of knowing that the people immediately around them are, are wearing a mask, they, they can feel comfortable. Uh, so that, that's the idea. It's, it's, there, there will be plenty of space for folks to sit if they don't wish to wear a mask. But in this part of the, of the meeting room, you can feel comfortable uh, that the people around you are wearing a mask. It's, okay, it's, so it's I'm going to be the lawyer again. So if we're going to hire security guards, which I agree with, okay, 
then we need to uh, copy or uh, develop uh, a protocol or rules for the security guards as to what they can and cannot do with regard to uh, enforcing our standard because we'll be held liable if one of them you know decides to manhandle somebody then mm -hmm. we're on the hook for it so we need to have a policy that says okay we're hiring you as a guard here are the rules if you don't follow them you know you're in trouble but this is what we expect and this is what we don't expect and, and mr president just to add to that um, because i totally agree we need to make that protocol known to the members ahead of the convention because that way if somebody isn't wearing a mask and they don't want to move maybe they didn't even mean to sit in the mask section but they just didn't want to move they have to know that they are going to be made to leave mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, and i think President, that's fine uh, this is doug okay ray and then uh, doug um, what well, yeah I what is the reason that we're even doing this separate sections? I mean, is it just because we understand that there are people who would feel more comfortable wearing, you know, in being seated in an area where everybody's wearing a mask? Is that, I mean, have we heard that, that that is something that's going on? And by the way, I think we also need to make clear that if you sit in the mask optional section, you want to wear a mask, you can darn yeah. well do that. Yeah, and that, yeah. that needs to be respected. Yeah, of, of course. But uh, yes, that's what we've exactly heard, Ray, is that there's people that would feel more comfortable if they knew the people around them were wearing masks. I mean, again, we're trying to put create an environment where as many people as possible feel comfort, comfortable if they wish to attend the, the convention in person. So yeah, Mr. President, can I respond to Ray? Ray, yeah. this is an indoor environment, remember, and there are a lot of people who still feel far more comfortable in an indoor environment mm -hmm. if they're around other people with masks. And so right. I think the, the comment that you made is, is wrong, or yeah. the insinuation anyway, it's just wrong. Okay, I, Everybody I was, has I, a different view. That's why I was just asking if that was what we were, why we were doing that, this. And I that. think, and I think also, um, but I think also that, um, you know, people, um, it, it, I would, if we're going to, this is getting really complicated to me and I almost change this just make masks required in the meeting rooms. I mean, that, that's what I would do. I thought about that too, Dan, but I would, whatever your name is, Ray. Um, but then we did have people who said, if I have to wear a mask all the time, I'm not going to come. That's right. So it's, it's a two edged sword. And I, trust me, I've gone back and forth on this a lot. It's, it's a really hard it's a hard call, but I guess yeah. this is the best that we can come up with to make everyone happy. And, and Doug, Doug, Doug was next and then Connie. We have a code of conduct. Um, and I think that uh, a person without a mask sitting in a mask session um, and not being willing to move uh, qualifies as a misconduct. So, and we have uh, adjudication in place uh, mm -hmm. up to being expelled from the meeting to, you know, to fall back on. So I think, I think we're covered in that regard and we need to make sure, and, and I, I take uh, Jeff's and, and, and Chris's comments seriously, that we need to make sure that the, uh, ex the security guard knows that code of conduct and, and mm -hmm. knows who to report to and, and that kind of thing. 
Um, but I, I think I think that I think we're covered in that regard. And, and uh, that uh, I'll recognize Connie, but I I what I'd like to do related to the policy for 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 masking and the security guard. I security guards I, I would like to refer that to the convention steering committee and let them yeah. put up uh, put, a, put yeah. a policy together to bring back before us yeah and, mm-hmm. and then connie go ahead um i have a question from um our members that are wondering um if you are sitting in a mask area and if there's like an affiliate voter affiliate that you need to talk to how will they how will you get a hold of your affiliate members that if they're sitting in a separate area? How will you know how, where to contact them at or reach them? Well, you're going to have to. Janet, for, I, th- I thought Janet. Well, I'm sorry. First yeah, of all, for, we... for the actual roll call votes, just so everybody's kind of cool. All right. So we're going to, the, the voting's a little bit different this year in that the, the, candidates are going to be announced at the end of general session and give their um, their nominating speech, have their people give their nominating speeches. And then gen- that's at the end of general session. And then individual voting will happen between two and six o'clock uh, in um, uh, uh, for through vote now. And there will be a, a, a voting precinct set up uh, in the convention uh, area for people to vote who don't have access to do it a different way. And then the roll call vote will be the following morning at general section session for those elections. So remember, affiliates have many members, many members that wish to participate in their affiliate elections that are not even in the hall. They're virtual. And so to me, affiliates who wish to, uh, to conduct business with their, um, their affiliate delegate couldn't do that the same way that people virtually can, can conduct business with their affiliate delegate. But there's plenty of time between when the nominations take place and the roll call takes place the next morning for the affiliates to caucus their members and get their uh, get their votes ready to to be presented. Thanks, yeah. Dan. Sorry, Jeff, I was muted for a second. Yeah. Okay. Can, Didn't oh. you indicate, Janet, that and this goes along with what you know you said, Dan, that we will not be sitting in state delegations this year? That's correct. Your your delegation could choose. Well, you to could. Sit yes, but of course. We're not going to try to set up the signs and say Alabama's right. here and Florida's there. Right. 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 You can sit with whomever you right. Mm-hmm. Whoever you want. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, Dan, can I add something from what I have been seeing in the last month? So, mm-hmm. approximately a month ago, when I would go out to um, the grocery stores or to uh, Target or Walmart, I used to see most people masking. Mm-hmm. I can go out to some places and I see very little people masking. Other places, half the people are masking. And then mm-hmm. you see just one or two. So as time has gone on, I think that less people are masking. So mm-hmm. I don't know if it would just be just as easy just to have a small section for the people who want to mask and then just let everybody else, you know, go where they want to go. Well, that's what we're saying. I, yeah, and I don't think I don't think you're gonna I don't think we're gonna have that many issues with people unmasking I, going into the mask. I, 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 I hope we don't. And I think our 
our good attorneys in our group are saying, but you need to pre be prepared mm -hmm. for those in case they happen. And I, I mm -hmm. think that's very, very valid. Um, but I am hoping that there's an option there for everybody. So we're not saying you have to mask. Right. We're just saying there's a section available that if you wish to be around others mm -hmm. who are masking, here's that safe masking space. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Matt, Mr. President, I actually disagree with Nancy because, and let me tell you why these things will happen. Say I'm not wearing a mask. I get lost. It takes me 20 minutes to find the room I'm in. I sit down in a mask section. Somebody mm -hmm. tells me to leave. I'm like, man, no. I've been walking around for 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. I don't want to leave. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's the yeah. type of thing that yeah. does happen at conventions. People mm -hmm. get tired. They get frustrated I mean, and mm -hmm. so I, don't, I think those events will happen I'm not saying people are going to mean to or that they're going to be intentionally you know trying to stomp on the rights of other people just these things happen yeah, some of it happens yeah. and I think the better job I like what a lot of people said we have to communicate communicate and communicate this the more we communicate and make it real obvious maybe there's even obviously a role for for people that are moderating uh, the meetings to announce uh, some of these rules mm -hmm. of the room before the the meeting starts. You know, I, okay. I think there's many things we need to do there to kind of uh, help alleviate potential conflict as much mm -hmm. as possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Any other discussion on Rule B? All right, hearing none, all those in favor of adopting Rule B signify by saying aye. 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 All right, Rule C is basically saying I've, the rule is the, the rule is the rule of the yep. of the community, but yes, mm -hmm. okay. But Other hotel and city of Omaha areas. These areas will follow current COVID-19 guidelines currently in place. Which there aren't any of. <laughs> right, well, it, in the local community. You never know. So it'll be determined by whatever the guidelines are yeah. at the time of the convention. Mm -hmm. With the caveat that the hotel did say that if we wanted their employees to be masked, that we could ask that and they would be masked. Right. So I don't know that we have a lot of control over this, but right. I just wanted yeah. to make it mm -hmm. clear. So when people sure. were understanding right. our rules of engagement, that yeah. that they're it, limited, there they're, yeah. there's a limit of what we have control. Well, over. And, and if you start trying to require it, you're going to get into all sorts of issues. Well, you can't. You just about. can't. You just can't do it. It's just. Mm -hmm. All right. So hearing no more discussion, is everybody comfortable with rule C signified by saying aye? Aye. 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 Opposed? All right. Connie. Dude. Yes. Had brought up volunteers. And do we need a rule around volunteers? So, Connie, now you have the floor to ask the, to, to have that discussion. I was I was just asked by members um, to bring this up that if the, if um, we are going to require vol our volunteers if it's um, you know we always bring volunteers into the convention to help if we are going to have them show vaccination or a negative test 
So that was the question that was brought to me. I, I think they should follow the same requirements as our attendees, that they should have to uh, provide provide that information. Um, you know, it, it might, it might knowing that it might hurt us getting volunteers, uh, but I think it's, they're they're in the hall with us. They need to buy, follow our our guidelines. I think. I, Janet, I to... Janet, just for for Janet to clarify. So when we deal with volunteers, I know they go through a registration process. Can can you explain how how do we identify ACB sanctioned volunteers through <laughs> our convention process? Yes, they do go through a registration process. What they do is they provide their information, their contact information to us online. And then Sally or I will reach out to them and schedule them or find out when they'd like to work and, you know, maybe get some information about them. And uh, that's how we come up with our volunteers. But yes, there is an, um, an initial process where they do put their information online. Now, off sometimes what will happen is if there is a group leader, say from a large company, we may not have all of the volunteer information until they arrive at the convention and sign up as a volunteer, because when they are at the convention, there is a form that they need to sign um, a waiver that they need to sign. And we want to have that in paper so that we know who's there and who's who's not there. So it's possible that we could get some volunteers whose names we didn't have initially because if for instance when we had the JW volunteers we may they just you know brought in a group but we will have many of the names. I don't know as far as getting vaccination documentation from them um, if that's what the board wishes, I guess we could, you know, put that on the website that volunteers would have to show this is Doug. Their vaccine card or a negative pot a negative COVID test if they're not able to have a vaccine based on our requirements. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you, Janet. I don't Doug? um my concern like yours, Dan, we may lose a few volunteers because of this. I I, I don't know. Yep. And honestly, I'd never really thought about volunteers. So thanks for thanks for bringing it up, Connie. Yeah. Uh, Doug, <laughs> my, go ahead. My, yeah, my proposal, I'm not quite as concerned about them being vaccinated as I am them being masked. Yeah, I, I would agree. So I, mean, I, I, I'd much prefer ask, uh, uh, requiring that volunteers wear masks. Well, that would be easy. And we could have them available for Yes. Yes, yes. Yeah, that would Doug be an easy that. fix. All right, any... Um... Because keep in mind, you're not interacting with them, each one of them, probably 15 minutes. Uh, and it's like, what is it, 15 minutes in close proximity for transmission? Although with some of these lower variants. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think COVID can work faster than that. But I think there's just only so much we we can require a little bit different of our members than we can our volunteers right. because and, our, yeah. you know. And you can you can be vaccinated and still uh, be carrying yeah. the, you yeah. know, be yeah. carrying the, the uh, virus. Yeah. So uh, yeah. I, I really, you know, the proximity we are with the volunteers, I, yeah. I think I think people would be, feel much more comfortable having them be masked and, and not worry about the, the uh, 
logistical hassle of trying that. to yep. let's do that. Yeah. So the other idea. thing I'd like to recommend that we do, particularly around volunteers, and it's probably something for us to do, um, but I would like to provide. Uh, I would like them to have hand sanitizer because they're going to be guiding people and et cetera,ing people, you know, whatever, and uh, handling, you know, people's hands and um, that sort of thing. And so that is yes. pretty close proximity. I mean, yes. in all seriousness. So I, I think, and one of the really cool things, I mean, they, they, we can use the little, you know, bottles or whatever, but I, I buy on Amazon, these little things, they look like a, they look like a card, but they're actually, um, you just squeeze them and they, and they pop the sanitizer right into your hand and you just, they're really cool. Anyway, um, something that we need to do because they are actually going to have people in very, very close proximity and will touch hands with people, um, for varieties of reasons. And I'm sure so, we could buy so a bunch of that and have it yeah. at the volunteers yeah. check-in desk. Yeah. Yes. Yep. I'm yeah. just, I just want to make sure, do you want them to have that? So as they're out, let's say they take yes. you to general yes. session and somebody else wants them to take them somewhere else. Yes. They have the little piece of the little hand sanitizer yeah. in and hand they can, with them. Yes. So that okay. they can sanitize between encounters the, of, the, okay. of the touching kind. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Okay. And that would help me, that would make me feel better, uh, a lot mm -hmm. better. Um, and, and I agree that I'd, I'd like them to be vaccinated, but I, that's going to be a really high stake. So I, I, I think, but if we did those two things, that would really help. All right. So would somebody like to craft a rule D to be added to our rules uh, related to volunteers? Sure. This is, I this can. is Doug. Uh, I, I, uh, go ahead, Connie. Since I've been the one who brought it up, I guess I could I would say that um, that I would request that the volunteers wear a mask when they Re are require don't require don't require, require yeah require um, wearing a mask and that they carry uh, hand sanitizer with them um, to be available to our members. Right. When, 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 uh, when, when helping our members. Yeah. 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 When yeah. helping yeah. our members. They will, we carry and use. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Carry and use. Mm -hmm. right. Should we, should we also in, in, uh, since we're, since we're doing this, uh, I, I think, I think it would be nice if the hotel staff would wear masks. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, oh, I, and, and, and yes. Janet said they will if we ask. Yes, I absolutely so, think so. So yeah. uh, should we should we incorporate that into D also? I, I, I think we'll make that an E just so we'll just yeah. keep okay. it real clean. Okay. okay, so D is that ACB volunteers will be required to wear masks and carry sanitizer. Um, Do we want to add that ACB will provide? It, yeah, provided by ACB when helping our members. I would say volunteers at the ACB con conference and convention. Yeah, this is all about the convention. It's not. Yeah. Well, I understand, but it's not ACB volunteers. It's other volunteers helping ACB members. Whatever. You're right. There won't, yeah, there won't be any other volunteers. Right. And then E would be that uh, we would. We okay, well, would... all right. Let's so let's do one vote at on, a time. Let's vote on D first. So do we need a second. Who was my second on that? I'll second. Chris. Okay. Thank you. So, so sorry, Doug. Doug moved, and no, 
No, like, Connie Kinda. moved, and and uh, Doug helped out, and uh, and uh, <laughs> and Chris seconded. Okay, all right. Any discussion? <coughs> Hearing none. All in favor, signify by saying aye. 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 All right. Now I think there was a E rule that yes. said uh, all hotel staff will wear masks when uh, interacting. interacting. Uh, at ACB conference room functions. When, I mean, we can't we can't on, stop them in yeah general, in the hallway. You they may yeah, not be right. Yeah, it's not just the conference room; it'd be the banquet hall and stuff too, right? Yeah, that's well, conference, that, that's, conference I, I, events. I yes, all the yeah. conference yeah. functions. When, when, yeah. when on duty during the ACB convention. Yeah. No, that would be a different no. statement because they are serving other people as well. This yeah. is a requirement related to our meeting area. Right. Our meeting areas. That's right. Okay. That's all we can get. Yeah. Okay. Denise, did you, did you, thank you, Jim. Did, did, did we, did Denise, did you get that? Okay. I got so it. so who, who, who moved? Doug, are you moving? Yeah, Jim sure. seconding. Doug's moving and Jim's seconding. Okay. Thank all you. right. Any discussion? Hearing none, all in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed. All right. Thank you. All right. I think we're ready to move on beyond numbers. Um, two, Maybe two not. Questions. Two yes, questions. Yes, go ahead, Ray. Just, yes. First of all, this one I heard brought up. So what if someone say we get down? I don't the like a start. Yeah, I don't thing. like these. What if know. can go what forever? If. Go ahead, Ray. What <laughs> if? Well, I'm, I'm gonna try, what, what if we get down towards the end of convention? Somebody comes up positive and they can't go home for a couple of days. Will they get the same hotel rate if they have to stay over a couple extra nights? We've had fly home. we've had issues where people have had yeah, to stay okay. because of illness, where people have fallen, where people and yeah. and that's something we've always been able to work out with okay. the hotel right? I, good, I, good I, point. Yeah, it happens every year. That. I didn't know yep. that. But yeah, every, and then the yep. second thing is, what if somebody is getting ready for a convention? I hate, you're not going to like my what if. You're going to mute <laughs> me here. But anyway, I um, know you. <laughs> what? They turn up sick and then decide, you know, that for, as they shouldn't, not to go to convention. Will they We've be had that too. Yeah. We've had that too, Ray, where people have become ill at the last minute or even have had to leave the convention because of illness. And we take care of that also. Okay. Okay. Good enough. So yeah. thank you. Those were good. Those were yeah. easy what ifs. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So I'd now like to say that we, uh, a motion to approve the rules uh, is, uh, now outlined A through E in item seven. And then so we'll be moved. Done. Ray moves. Do I have a second? Yes. Yeah. Chris Bell seconds. Chris Bell seconds. Okay. All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed. All right. We're now moving on to item eight. Many of our I members don't think may... I want this job anymore. <laughs> I just want to say thank you all very much for well, this has been a great discussion and I'm leaving you now. So, but I'll be listening on ACB media, but thank you, like very much. thank you very much. Thank right. you, Janet. That's right. I don't like you anymore. No. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night. All right. I, item number, I think these next items huh, huh, may move fairly quickly. We'll see. Uh, all right. Item item number eight. Um, 
This is uh, ACB offering support for blind and low vision people living in Ukraine who have been displaced by the conflict. And so the uh, World Blind Union, uh, obviously supported by our World, World Blind Union North American Caribbean region, uh, is uh, putting together a fund to raise money for these individuals. And we feel like the World Blind Union is a very reputable institution. And part of that is a whole gala that's going to take place, I believe on April 16th in support of this. Um, and so uh, Kim has come to us uh, with a recommendation that we authorize uh, the expenditure of $1,000 out of our uh, disaster relief fund, which we have gathered funds through different events here over the last few years. And Nancy has verified that we have the money in the fund uh, to go towards this uh, WBU uh, effort. So I'll turn it over to Kim to provide more details. And I think there's probably additional information about the the concert and the event and how maybe others can have an ability to participate, but Kim. Well, thank you, Dan. Um, and I think you, you know, articulated it pretty well. The, there is going to be um, a, a performing arts concert in support of the blind community of the Ukraine um, organized by Jonathan Mosen and several other entities around the globe um, being aired on um, Zoom and picked up by many other uh, internet radio stations, including ACB Media. I believe that there, that's been verified that ACB Media has been in communication with Jonathan to work out technical details to make the concert um, accessible. So the concert is blind performing artists. They need to you know, submit their contributions to the concert um, by the end, by Friday of next week, April 8th, um, if they are a talented musician um, and have, you know, a contribution to make the, the concert organizing group is, is happy and hoping that people will submit um, content. They have to record it themselves. It has to be of high quality, not, not recording studio quality, but at least the ability to sound pretty good on, on streamed radio. So so that's kind of phase one. It is, it is a fundraiser to support um, the initiatives of organizations trying to serve people who are blind in the Ukraine and along the border and relocation um, with refugees. And the World Blind Union has set up um, the, the Ukraine Unity Fund and they are able to accept donations. <laughs> so, yes. So, um, so that we felt that if ACB made um, a donation, we could urge our members, you know, to match our donation to, you know, but we would make a contribution of a thousand dollars to start ACB's campaign and, and our members making contributions and their contributions would be made directly to the um, WBU Ukraine Unity Fund and not funneled through ACB or anything like that. It would be their gift to this initiative to help um, blind people in the Ukraine. 
And I think at least one thing that's also been committed to is ACB would uh, help host a community event for the hour following the, um, the, the concert where we could have people, uh, you know, talk about their experience, you know, encourage additional donations, that type of thing. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Dan. Mm -hmm. So I just need a, uh, Kim, if Kim could make a motion and I get a I, second. Uh, I would be happy to make a motion that the American Council of the Blind make a $1,000 contribution to the WBU Ukraine Unity Fund. This is Donna. I'll second it. Okay. Thank you, Donna. Are any discussion? I, I have some, Dan, but it doesn't, re it pertains to this in a way, but it doesn't. So if you'd go ahead and take the vote and then give me a minute. Sure. Thank you, David. Yeah. And the other thing I would say is that um, I've had brief conversation with Tony about, you know, communication of, of this and, you know, kind of a more of a plan right now. I don't know a lot of details, but certainly we would be getting the word out about both the concert and the, the contribution from ACB and the um, to make donations because members have been asking about how to make donations to any kind of fund that would be helping blind people in Ukraine and, um, and the community event that we're talking about after the concert on April 16th. So there will be more to follow to communicate this to our members to make it a successful event. And this is Penny. Can I um, ask him a question on that topic? After sure. you take the vote. Thank you. Oh, after the vote. Okay. All right. Any other discussion before we take the vote? All right. Hearing none. All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed signify by saying nay. All right. Motion carries. Thank you very much. I think this is a very worthwhile effort and I'll recognize first David and then Penny. So go ahead, uh, David. Let, let Penny go first since she's got a question because I managed about this fun more than what okay. we did. Sure. Um, I, actually, I guess it's more of a, a request than a question. I'm speaking on behalf of the BOP. I'm hoping, Kim, that you or someone who knows a lot of these details could write about this and soon for uh, the Visions blog. Would you be willing to do that? Sure. That's a great, a great idea. Yes. That's what Thanks. I mean by the communication plan with Tony to make sure we map this all out. And that's a great idea. Thank you. You're welcome. Mm -hmm. And uh, David, go ahead. Okay. I, I was for this, so I didn't bring this up ahead of time. Uh, mm -hmm. This disaster fund is getting low now. Um, and so we need to start looking. I don't know if you need to challenge RDC or whatever. We never know when a disaster is going to hit because we wouldn't have thought, you know, six months or a year ago that we would be donating $1,000 for mm -hmm. the blind of Ukraine. So we need to work at replenishing this fund because, it's important for things like this. Uh, we we need to participate, and especially you know when we get a chance to participate on a world stage and help help our friends that we might not ever see or meet. Uh, they you know they really are in need. But but now we got to replenish because uh, if I'm not mistaken, and Nancy can correct me if I'm wrong, we're down to probably a few hundred dollars in that fund. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yes, I think that's right. I believe that's true. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it might be worth, uh, uh, David, maybe if you can and others of us can take it back to the RDC, we could ask them to consider that at the next RDC meeting and maybe put a, a campaign together. Yeah. Well, and Actually, I'd maybe, like to see an ongoing project, you and, know, and, this fund. 
Dan, this is Donna. I was wondering mm. if, if somebody could bring it up like at the president's meeting and some people might include some of their roll call donations. Roll call money. Yeah. That would be excellent. I yeah. think I think Dan Dillon, who also kind of helps shepherd that roll call, I think he would be an excellent person to, to, okay. for us to ask him there. Yeah. To, yep. I, I like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good. Good point, David. All right. That's it for um, uh, item eight. Thank you so much, Kim. Uh, Thank appreciate you. it. Mm-hmm. Thank you to everyone. All right. Uh, nine, um, uh, this is just as, as, as we continue to grow and, 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 and move in the, in the world of the 21st century, which all happens with very, um, uh, it, to me, it seems like a lot of times an amazing amount of speed. You know, you don't even know you have an issue and the next day it's a crisis, right? Um, so what, uh, has kind of worried me a little as uh, ACB president, and I've talked to Kim as my immediate past president and and others is, you know, we kind of have a definition of the responsibilities of our board of directors laid out at a high level in our constitution and bylaws. But we have really never defined a kind of roles, a policy of roles and responsibility uh, that would kind of detail things between uh, what the board, what the ACB president is responsible for, the board is responsible for, the staff is responsible for. We now have uh, nine program steering committees. We have an ACB EOS leadership team. We have our members. Obviously, the ultimate authority for our organization is our members, but we only meet once a year. Um, So what I think there would be real value in is asking our administrative and management program steering committee to, you know, work to form um, what I'll kind of identify as an ad hoc committee underneath them to really work through and put a policy in place kind of defining our roles and responsibilities. And I think these reside in several different areas. So if I even, you know, even like basic things, like what are the authorization levels for procurement? You know, who, and these things have morphed over time. You know, who signs our convention contracts? Who can authorize an expenditure of $50,000? Who can, you know, what are the roles of engagement for ACB around our financial transactions? Um, What are the roles of ACB around uh, decisions uh, related to uh, advocacy and policy issues? You know, when, when, do we believe uh, we need board approval to put, say, uh, comments in for a notice of public rulemaking associated with uh, an FCC uh, request for audio description? Or it could be, we have a multitude of these things, um, you know, and they come up and they need to be addressed many times in between board meetings, you know. so. So what are, what are the roles and responsibilities in that area? 
what are the roles and responsibilities in the practices of hiring and firing employees? You know, I, at least as ACB president, have taken the, the, the viewpoint that we hire an executive director and it's the executive director's responsibility to hire the staff that reports to him or her. But is that really the role that should be in place? There's nowhere anywhere that it, that's stated. So we've got all of these activities taking place and we really don't have a, a roadmap to follow. And I think we're getting to the point where we, we need a lot of these um, things better defined um, because um, without defining them, and I'm not getting, not amazingly, amazing amount of specificity, but without some level of policy and guidelines around our roles and responsibilities, I think we have a lot of situations that, that, put us in, in uncomfortable positions, not only as a board and as your ACB president, but I think Eric might also comment to this as a executive director of what his role, you know, what, what, what is he allowed to do and not allowed to do? And we really never have defined that too much, I don't think. Eric, do you have any comments there before I open it up to the board? Because I know you and I talk about this all the time. And it's not like Eric yeah. and I don't talk. I mean, we talk... <laughs> <laughs> at least once a day, probably, right, Eric? <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And at least once a day, and we have a leadership team meeting that Kim also sits on right. and participates in. Um, but yeah, this this is challenging. In fact, uh, the majority of my time at, at ACB um, has been challenging at different points, either serving as your director of advocacy and governmental affairs or in this role, um, there's not a lot that's defined. Uh, there's also down through the majority of the time that I've been here, been not that many folks working for the organization. And now there are significantly more. And, you know, I, I believe when you look uh, around at, at other nonprofits that there are certain things that an executive director should just be doing. And, uh, you know, I, I am, I am being empowered to do those things on a day-to-day -day basis uh, by Dan and before him, Kim. Uh, but nothing is defined, or very little is defined about my role, and I don't know that much of that is necessarily rocket science. I, I think that there are good organizations out there that that provide. Uh, guidance, some of it is free actually to, to help provide guidelines and, and policies about some of this stuff. But um, it, it gets awkward uh, from time to time understanding my role versus Dan's role. Um, what, what, I, what I don't want to do is uh, get out in front of stuff that uh, the, the membership, and by the membership, I mean either the board of directors or the actual membership should be deliberating on and making a decision on behalf of, of the organization. Um, there are times when times are, <laughs> there are timely decisions that need to be made. I, I always consult with Dan and before him, Kim about those things. 
about those decisions. But you know, I I, I serve at your pleasure, right? So uh, I, I want to ensure that I'm continuing to do the right thing. Um, I feel like a lot of the a lot of the stuff that I've been given to do is absolutely appropriate for somebody in my role to 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 do to to make decisions. But there's nothing written anywhere that that memorializes that. So um, it would make me uh, feel better about it, as well as uh, the staff, um, and in particular, over the last couple of years as we developed a leadership team. You know, what's the role of the leadership team in decision making for the organization? And then not only making decisions, and David and I have had conversations about this, informing people of those decisions, right? So, you know, when maybe we are not, maybe it's happening so quickly that that the board's not called to make a decision, but is there then something that says once something has happened, we're notifying the board in a period of 24 to 48 hours or something of something. So they're aware, right? Because what happens is something happens, members start calling people. And if you haven't gotten out to everybody, you're, you've got people in the dark, you know? And again, we used to, in my old job, we'd call it a racy matrix and you'd have who was responsible, who, you know, who needed to be informed, who needed to be consulted. You know, you kind of, you, you form kind of a matrix there depending on the type of um, decision or action you were taking. So, um, when you, you know, have yeah. So anyway, so that's, uh, that's why I'd like to put this, uh, team together. I just feel like we're kind of getting at that point in our growth where, where we need to really have such yeah. a policy. And uh, I'd but, like to speak to it too. When it, okay. So um, I've got me too. All right. So I've got, I've got David and then I heard Pat and then was it Donna? I'm willing to be or, honest. Or was, who, who, I, it, was a, it was a woman's voice. I did get, was it Donna or Connie? Who, who mentioned after, um, uh, after Pat, Ray. I just I just heard Ray and then Jeff. Okay, I, I heard Ray and Jeff. Okay, I thought I heard a. a no, a, I don't a, think a, so. There was like a okay. bell or. Oh, is that what it was? Glass. Maybe it was or a cocktail so, glass. I don't know. We do so need a female, though. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'd be happy right, to so talk we, about this. I have really strong feelings about. Okay, it. so we have Deb. Okay, so we've got David. <laughs> I don't think I could go any further. David, Pat, Ray, Jeff, and Deb. Okay, so go ahead, David. Okay, I uh, yeah. If I was Eric, I I wouldn't really feel comfortable working in this condition either. Uh, even though most of us have taken it for granted that you know the board runs the con- uh, business between conventions, and then our uh, executive director and staff runs the business day to day with consult with uh, the president. We we've done this a long time, and it works well. Uh, I, I am concerned a little bit about information, but but I, I think we've we've cleared that up in the last week and a half. Uh, I, you know, I blame that more on the board than I do anybody else. We we tend to have gotten complacent. We don't have any discussion on the board really anymore, and we don't discuss with staff. Which uh, I think the only two staff members is Eric and Nancy, 
and that might be something for this team to look at. But it, ultimately, for Eric and team to produce, they have to have the authority to work. And and they're, you know, they're our team, guys. They're they're not going to work against what ACB members and the board want. Uh, they've done an excellent job of of moving things for forward for us. And I think we really owe it to them to define this and give them, you know, a little bit better comfort level than we've done. And that's all I got, Dave. Okay, thank you, David. And I'll, uh, Pat? Yeah, I'll jump in next. I'm agreeing with what David just said. And, I mean, this is one thing that we, where I am, are putting together business process documents, we call them that. Uh, not only will it help to define um, sort of roles and responsibilities and procedures, but it's also an excellent um, document to have in place for succession planning. So if we have, uh, you know, let's say staff that comes and goes uh, and they leave, all this information leaves with them. That's not a good way to run an organization. So you're looking at, at that also so that you can sort of pull the, the document. How do I do my job? What my roles and responsibilities you pull that document off the shelf, you pick it up, you read it, you understand what your roles and responsibilities are going to be. Uh, and, and that's something that, you know, this admin group would want to take a look at every year and make sure that what we have as far as whatever you call these documents, business process documents or whatever, that it's up to date. And, you know, one of the problems, as you said, Dan, uh, a lot of people make decisions uh, at certain times, some of us know about it. Some of us don't know about it. No one broke a rule because there isn't anything written down. No rule was broken, no processes in place. And so it's run ad hoc as best we can. And we're getting far too complicated. Uh, and being a chief influencer, we have to do better with our processes and procedures. And we can yeah, start and, and I think if down. And I think if it's a policy, then we have the ability to amend it. If, if we don't... We, we've historically kind of gotten too specific in our constitution and bylaws, and then that gets unwieldy, but yeah. Right. So and and then, yeah. yeah, the business, these business documents are things that we can just update every year. You don't mm -hmm. need the kind of vote, uh, membership vote or whatever to, to amend and update the policies and procedures. Yeah. Right. Good. All Thanks, right. Dan. Sure. Thank you, Pat. Ray. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can't add a lot to what Pat said and David said. I think, uh, you know, the, the most dangerous thing that we could do is uh, not do anything. And then somebody leaves and knowledge goes out the door with them. And that's certainly, you know, something that uh, we can't do. I like what you said kind of toward the end there, though, that maybe we could, um, you know, get some of, you know, we have some guidance in the Constitution and bylaws for certain things. But um, this will allow us to get a little bit more specific uh, about different um, different roles and things. And frankly, it's you know we're we're a growing organization, and and um, you know the, these are the kinds of things that uh, these kinds of process documents or whatever you want to call them are things that we definitely need. So uh, definitely would uh, would support um, uh, doing this. I think it's good, be good for our team and good for good for our sanity and good for our team. I guess. Thank you. All right, uh, Jeff. Yeah, I'm only going to add that I've just been just completed a term as president of a board where this problem existed um, to a great extent. We had several board members who 
didn't mind blurring the lines between proper board roles and proper staff roles. And it made for some real headaches for staff. So I am absolutely supportive of what uh, Dan is proposing. Okay, Jeff. Uh, Deb? Yes, so the one uh, different caveat that I would add to this discussion is that this is not just about the staff, but it's actually very much about the transition of the board. Um, the board changes a little bit um, every year um, that we have an election and uh, has the potential to change a lot. And, um, and I think that even just hearing some of the discussion here, I can tell you that I think if we dug down deeply, everybody doesn't quite see this the same way. So what we really have to do is document all of that process so that not only do we have any concern about, about staff, but somewhat as Jeff pointed out, um, we also have, we know where the board's lane really is and what we expect, um, because I think we need to be much more clear about what we expect our board members to do and not to do. And um, I periodically see things, in, even in our organization that works pretty well, that really trouble me. So um, I, I think that we need to sort this out and I either need to be less troubled or they need to change. So um, I'm, I'm extremely uh, into this because I think that um, uh, we need to we need to document our processes. It doesn't mean they have to stay permanent, but we need to document what we do, how we do it. And it's not just about staff changing, but it's about us changing because we roll the whole board over, you know, every 10 years and mm -hmm. uh, staff get us, we come uh, elected uh, and, and not necessarily all elected based on uh, our understanding of the organization. I mean, there are a lot of ways that that we get elected. So um, I think we have to be able to empower um, our board correctly uh, at the inception of the person's term. Thank you, Devin. I know he's being quiet, but I this resonated with me when Kenneth Simeon Sr. became a board member. The first thing he asked me, even when he was running, mm -hmm. was Dan, could you please provide me a document of the board's roles, responsibilities, and the board expectations? And mm -hmm. I said, boy, I'd really like to be able to do that, Kenneth. Folklore. <laughs> but so, Kenneth, I, I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I, I know you have, uh, you know, you, you definitely have an interest in this area. Yes. For some years, I, I talked to different people, even Ray Campbell one time on the, uh, leaving the hotel to go to the airport. I asked this question because I was thinking about serving on the board and a number of people were telling me I should. Uh, I wanted to know what the financial uh, commitment would be and everything. Even before I joined an organization, I want to read your constitution and bylaws, uh, any mission statement, vision statement. I want to know all those things so I know what I'm saying yes to. And so a number, number of times we come on board, we expect to do certain things, but we don't find out until after we've already uh, been elected. And so even this time, I've learned some things that uh, I really had questions about before, but it wasn't available for me. So I told Dan there were several things I wanted to try to work on to make sure that we can have something available to help people to better be informed about what they are signing on to, not to scare them away, but to let them know that some of these things are not so tough or whatever. We just have to know about it so we can perform at our best level. And how can we expect, uh, you know, 
high performance if we are giving or having our, our expectations low. So I think it's necessary to have these things in writing. And as much as I don't need to say the yes, yes to another thing, this, this is something of interest to me to get help to get some things lined up in writing because that's mostly what I can do behind the scenes. If I didn't have to do anything else, I definitely could work good behind the scenes coming up with things uh, in writing. Uh, but I want to do my part in any way I can. And uh, thank you, Kenneth. And uh, as Eric uh, spoke other, I think this is something we can get some help with through our advisory board. Uh, and I think also, you know, even out to somebody like a board source or those type of folks, we're not the first uh, non-for-profit board that's been in existence, right? So I think there's, there's at least a template to begin the conversation with. And what I'd like to do is kind of this, I'll, I'll work with, um, with Nancy and Pat as part of the uh, Administrative and Management Program Steering Committee to put a, a, an ad hoc committee together with the idea we'd kind of get started. And then my goal would be that we could present a draft policy to the board at the fall board meeting uh, in Chicago. Mr. In, President. In October. Yes, go ahead, Jeff. I would like to bring up one other thing um, which pertains to this, but is somewhat um, different, but I think is equally as important and something we should be looking at and potentially putting on a different timeline, but it's, it's critical. And that's a disaster preparedness plan. Um, it's all well and good to understand our roles and responsibilities, but we also need to understand uh, what things need to be done and how across the organization if people were to leave or if something were to happen to the organization, uh, we, we, we wanna make sure that we have uh, the strategic process documented fully to be able to overcome all kinds of different things throughout the organization. And I think that's something that uh, would be critically important to act on uh, and probably will take multiple years to define, but it should be, uh, there should be a pile of boulders or rocks in this area uh, mm -hmm. that, that the administrative committee needs to focus on and get well-documented and uh, archived somewhere so that we have that data for historical reference. Thank you. Okay, very good. All right, so um, good conversation. I, do we need a motion here or do I just kind of uh, move it over? I guess it wouldn't hurt. I, I always like to have the support of the board. So uh, would somebody move that, that, that we... Uh, I would move that we create an ad, that the, that the Management Administrative Committee be charged with creating an ad hoc team to put in, to, to put in place um, business process roles and responsibilities type documents for with a draft to be presented at the fall board of directors meeting in Schaumburg. Second. All right. So Ray move and Jeff Bishop seconded. Any other discussion? Yeah, Mr. President, just a, yeah. a thought. Um, and maybe we don't need a separate motion, but you might want to consider whether there should be any board training as a part of this whole process. Who could be part of this? You don't have to make a motion around it, do yeah. you? Yeah, uh, yeah, I, but, but I, I 
firmly believe once we get yeah. uh, in place, we we definitely need some workshops part of around the strategy. it. Strategy, yeah, yeah. yeah. strategy for implementation. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And, and, and Mr. President, this is Doug. Uh, it may go beyond board because uh, the the other thing that we you sort of haven't, I think you said was supposed to be part of this was the relationship between the committees and the steering committees and the governing, uh, you know, the governing uh, yeah. uh, entities. So, uh, you know, we may need to include more than just the board members in, in terms of, uh, you know, figuring out who, who you know, right. you know, figuring out what, how it all happens. Yeah, yep. I think yep. we'd probably look at a scope, you know, looking that larger scope, Doug, and figure out, because you're right, you did take into consideration a whole pile of things here, not just board, but that was a critical, that was one of the elements that you looked at. Yeah, I think it's good. I mean, it, it does cover a lot. And I think before you start solving the problem, you need to define what the problem is, well, not what the problem is, but you know, like a problem statement, what are you going to try to solve? Mm -hmm. Good. Nancy, it looks like we have work to do. All right. All right. I'm going to go ahead and call the question. All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? All right. Uh, item number 10. Uh, Nancy uh, has been working with our auditors and has a clarification for our 2021 financial statements that she would like to share with the board. So Nancy. Thank you, Dan. So a couple of things I want to talk about, and I'm just going to use the abbreviations, but I'm talking about the PPP loans, which is the Payment Protection Program, and then the ERC, which is the Employee Retention Credit. So originally in 2020, if an organization had received PPP loans, they weren't eligible to apply for ERC funds for um, federal payroll taxes. Then in 2021, these guys guidelines changed. So those who received PP funds could also apply for ERC funds. So just to, um, just to remind you guys, we did apply for PPP funds in 2020 and 2021 for ACB and ACBES. So with this knowledge that we could potentially get a refund for ER, the sorry employee retention credit, in 2021, ACB and ACBES applied for ERC refunds in October of 2021 pertaining to the 2020 fiscal year. So at the time that we applied for this refund based on guidance using GAAP, which is generally accepted accounting principle standards, I took the conservative approach and didn't recognize the revenue for the 2021 fiscal year. And the reason um, I did not recognize this is because it says that even if we believe we have met all the criteria, we still could be denied and not given a refund. So that is my was my reasoning for not recognizing it because I wasn't sure if we were going to get the money back. So I was talking to the auditors this week, um, this past week, about the audit that's going to start on Monday. And I learned that there has been updated information that the auditors received. And I do need to book the revenue and a receivable in 2021. And the amount of money that I am 
anticipating or that we applied for is about $135,000 that we should be getting back. Now, based on my discussion with the auditors, this has been about, I think it's been about five months since we um, completed the application. And they're letting me know that um, with past organizations that they've worked with, we should be receiving this money in approximately a month. So I just wanted to give you that update that the net profit from 2021 um, is, is changing from approximately $319,700 up to $454,700. Do I have any questions? Yeah, Nancy, oh, yeah. this is Chris Bell. Why, why, why is it being booked for 2021 if we're not going to get it until 2022? Because based on the, the uh, updated guidance from GAP, GAP says we have to recognize it. Okay. So you you recognize it as revenue and then it goes as an accounts receivable, right? That Correct. Thing. Correct. And, th and then when you actually get the money, it just moves from one asset class yeah. to the other. Yeah. 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 And so, it doesn't impact your, your, your 2022 number because it's receivable. Is Correct. Right? Correct. Okay. Now, the other thing is, is I did not apply for ERC money for 2021. So um, fairly soon after I get done with the audit, I will have um, uh, the firm that we were using last time, I will have them apply for ERC money for 2021 also. I don't anticipate it will be as high as what we got in 2021, but um, we should be still getting some money back from that also which now you would probably recognize in 2022. Correct. This year. Okay. Correct. All right. So, you know, I don't know where I, my mind, I, I didn't even know much about this. So I feel like we just, you know, I, I, I know, I know the revenue got recognized for last year, but I'm, I'm really excited that we're going to get perhaps yeah. $135,000 in a month. That's a good thing. Nancy can bring that news to us anytime. Yeah. <laughs> so, so when I, when okay. I get when I when we receive the money, I'll let you guys know how much it is, just to make sure um, it is what I I told you guys it would be. Okay. All right. So twenty twenty one just keeps getting better, huh? It does. Yeah. It does. <laughs> All right. Thank, Thank you. you guys. Thank you, Nancy. Uh -huh. All right. Uh, item number eleven on the agenda. Um, this request came from uh, Pat Sheehan is uh, based on the uh, strategic plan getting presented at the DC Leadership Conference, uh, different activities that have taken place. Um, he felt that we did not have an opportunity to have a workshop um, before the DC Leadership Conference this year. And so he'd like us to consider having a workshop maybe in the May timeframe sometime to really take three or four hours as a board and really talk about the strategic plan for, for this year and maybe even subsequent years and allow people to really ask questions, see what we've accomplished and what we haven't accomplished. So Pat, I'm putting words in your mouth, so I'll let you speak. Uh, but um, I wanted to make sure your request got on the agenda for tonight. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, I, I think you said it very nicely. Uh, I just think it's important for the board to understand what's in the strategic plan. I actually thought we were further along than we were. I thought we were near because this past and what was it, 2018, uh, we're in year two. But I think that the board needs to be able to look at the strategic plan 
see what we're committing to, see what it's going to cost, and see what how we're going to pay for the items that are in that strategic plan. In the past, you know, and as Dan and I talked about it, he said, well, all of these things are being passed in the budget. But I think this board is aware that when we look at the budget, we're looking at a whole bunch of numbers over a couple week period. And things like the strategic plan and everything in that strategic plan gets lost. And I think we need to ask the questions of, the funding for the different projects, what is it going to cost? Is the money, if we commit to it, going to come out of reserves? And if that's the way we want to run the organization, okay. Or do we look at how we're going to pay for these different initiatives and what are they going to cost? So I think that's critical. And I think stepping through it over a two-hour period or maybe three-hour period, asking those questions in a workshop is, is critical to, you know, for the fiduciary responsibility that this board has. Questions from board members. Is this, are we talking about the, the, the plan that's got one, the one, three, three and five, and five year? year right. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're talking about yeah. the one, three and five year plan. We are in year two. Okay. And so what is year two? What are the, what are the nine or 10 things that we're supposed to pay for this year? How are we doing as far as funding those things? What kind of money is coming in? Or are we going to take this money out of reserves if we don't get funding by the end of the year? And what is that going to look like? Okay. Yeah. So I definitely. think that that's the kind of, I, I think that that's, I think that's, you know, time well spent. And, and I understand that we talk about some of these things when we pass the budget, but there are a lot of numbers in that budget. Well, yeah, you and, saying... and they could be, be at a higher level where people could consume mm -hmm. them a little bit better. Yeah, right. go ahead, and, and Chris. Certainly discuss uh, about the project. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So go ahead, Chris. You, are you saying that the strategic plan should be uh, what's uh, uh, considered as part of the budget committee process? Uh, that there should be a, a line not a line item, but you know what I'm saying, a, a category to take into account the strategic plan objectives? I think that you can make the argument, Chris, that the strategic plan are elements that we have voted on in the budget. But what I'm saying is that I think a lot of them, but we vote for a lot of, a lot of income and expenses in, in that budget. Right, I get that. But, right, but, okay. But, so what I'm saying is- a category for strategic plan implementation as part of the budget is there this is deb no there wouldn't no be. no there are no, but there are projects not. in the plan no they're, they're, they're all built into the budget yeah yeah if we're like doing that. it properly yeah like and so, like if yeah. we hire a new employee as part of the strategic plan then that employee's uh, in the budget. salary is mixed in with the other employee's salaries yeah. and, mm -hmm. as part of the budget well okay so maybe right. maybe you have other... to have an explanation uh, mm -hmm. in that, in those particular line items that this is pursuant to the strategic plan. Well, I, I think actually what's more important, Chris, is not that it's part of the strategic plan, but what are we doing to fund these elements that are in the strategic plan? If we've got nine or 10 things that we're, that we're looking at in 2022, what are they going to cost? What are we doing to, you know, are we going to take the money out of reserves at the end of the year? Are we going to 
what are we doing as far as funding these initiatives that uh, that we have in the strategic plan? Well, it's not Deb. just money either. It's yeah. sorry. Okay, Deb, go ahead, Deb. Deb, 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 and, Deb and then Ray. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah. So, so I'm I'm a little bit concerned with this process. I, I certainly want the board to have as much information as it needs to have, and so I'm not mm -hmm. objecting to that part. What I'm concerned about is that. Um, the strategic plan is everything. So it's pretty much everything that's in the budget relates back to the strategic plan. And if you look at how, how you're planning to fund an individual item, it, it, the fact of whether it might come from reserves or not um, may not make any difference if, in fact, our actual income, given our unrealized gains and things, is higher than, you know, in the end, higher than our budget. So it it seems like to try to parse it to try to parse the strategic plan out in that way, um, I'm not sure really quite works. I mean, I don't think it's quite real. So I I think that what might be really appropriate though um, is to revisit the strategic plan if if this is of concern to revisit the strategic plan from the from the standpoint of the of the structure of the work and the budget the resource in other words mm -hmm. that it will take to implement um, each item rather than just kind of go through reporting on how we're doing on it um, the actual analysis that went into which you know i think we've been through before but it's probably you know from what i'm hearing it sounds like some people would like to kind of walk through it uh, periodically, I don't mean like twice a year, but I mean periodically to to try to really do a reality check on that and see where we are. Um, mm -hmm. But I think to try to line item all the items out into the budget is um, kind no, of working asking, in a vacuum. Yeah, yeah right. kind I, of working in a vacuum. I wasn't asking that. And I think a discussion as you frame it is fine. Um, you know, that's similar to what I'm thinking mm -hmm. so that we have some idea of what it is what it's going to cost, where we where it stands, you know, with mm -hmm. respect to uh, moving forward with it. The mm -hmm. other thing Ray or somebody else brought in into this whole discussion is <clears throat> what are the resources we have in place to support it? Uh, are we overtaxing the resources we already have, or should we be dialing some of these efforts back and not execute them this year? Maybe we execute them next year. And that sort of discussion. So it's not just a money issue, it's also a resource issue, whether it is volunteers or whether it is staff. And I don't think it's a bad idea for the board to take a look at that and make that decision. Well, and I think that's really or all at least just have in, input. In, right? yeah. I, I think that's really, again, maybe better understanding the strategic plan and mm -hmm. the things we have there and the effort it's gonna take both right. time, talent and treasure, right? And, right. Right. and, and, and you know, is it, we're learning, right? We, we, mm -hmm. This is a new level of granularity we even have for a strategic plan that we used to have. But yeah, mm -hmm. so, but go ahead, right? Yes. What this sounds like to me is just kind of a periodic discussion that you should have about the strategic plan. Look at it, mm -hmm. see how we're doing, mm -hmm. see how, what we um, maybe need to scale back on. I um, I think this is good. And rather than discussing it, to having the workshop to death, I think we should just schedule the workshop and, and do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So I agree. And so, so if everybody's comfortable yeah. with having a workshop, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Is that Jeff? And then yeah, Jeff has his hand up. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, Jeff, just ask for the floor. You don't have to raise your hand. I, yeah, I'm, I'm not a, yeah, but go ahead, Jeff. This was Doug. Um, oh, Doug. I thought Jeff had his hand up. Jeff okay. does have his hand Jeff up. Okay. Jeff has Je his hand up. Jeff and then Doug. Okay, go ahead, Jeff. I, I, I would just recommend that actually we do this on an annual basis. It never hurts, even if it's only an hour session, it never hurts to review where we are on our strategic plan and making any evaluation and changes. That's all I'm just suggesting. Okay, very good. I, that sounds good. Uh, go ahead, Doug. And my question is, what time of year would it be most useful? And I'm thinking probably uh, the fall board meeting uh, would probably, or, or before the fall board meeting would be better because then it's closer to when the budget process is starting up for the next year. And that's when we did it last year, yeah, but it was kind of the first time we've really done it. So we're kind of learning a little bit. So it was that too close because it was already into the trouble with the fall board meeting. It's at the end of October and we're doing it's, it's right at right before budget, right yeah. before budgeting. So I like what, uh, what you guys are thinking and, and Jeff Bishop commented on it, it. Should there be some time maybe in the September timeframe before we kind of kick all this off mm -hmm. that we say, sure. you know, here's where we, um, uh, here's where we, are, are standing with the strategic plan. And, and I think Eric, what we're kind of learning from the EOS process is you really, it's kind of really at the end of the third quarter, right? So which would be the end of September where you're setting your initial strategic plan for the next fiscal year. You don't really do that in December. You kind of start wow. that process at the end of the third quarter. And that we've, what we've kind of learned. That is, yeah, and and we have plans to to spend a day with uh, with Lee uh, end of September this year to uh, look at look at next year, which happens to be year three, which is a very big year for us Pivotal to year. Mm -hmm. uh, evaluate what we have on paper, reevaluate mm -hmm. yeah. if necessary, and change numbers and change or modify right so you know the this stuff can all be changed um mm -hmm. you know depending it's upon a living the document on the ground yeah yeah, yeah. yeah the, the, none of this stuff is uh is set in stone um i happen to think we did a pretty good job last year with our with our one year and and hitting the targets um next year is a significant step Mm -hmm. I agree um, with you. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, input from you all, uh, also input from the staff regarding uh, the capacity to do it, the constraints on capacity. Um, you know, we've, we've come a very long mm -hmm. way with regard to uh, the, the raising of revenue over the last several years. And we've hired a, a lot of new people, um, but, but there are still all sorts of, of uh, challenges and stressors that, that are placed upon the organization. Um, sometimes we don't even know about them until they pop up. Yeah, and, yeah. And so, you know, it's, it, it's, not, a, it's not linear. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, well, and let's, let's yeah. schedule something in September so we can uh, 
do this and, and around that time frame. So we're not here till midnight. <laughs> I, I, I kind of like that. And, and then that could be input into our, our, uh, our working with Lee for the, for the version of, you know, for the strategic plan. And then we can share it at the fall board meeting as part of the whole process, but we at least aren't seeing it for the first time at the fall board meeting. Yeah. That, that feels right. Yeah. yeah. So that's, sometime that's in that. that's a good way to that, operationalize it. That, yeah. I, I like that. Year, like Jeff Bishop said. Yeah. Okay. So maybe Eric will look to try to do something third or fourth week in September, some along those lines. That sounds so. good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We can go ahead. And, and, and maybe even we do it on a Saturday or something where it's not in the middle of everybody's. Maybe not day. a Friday night. Maybe not a Friday night <laughs> uh, at midnight. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so everybody good with that approach? Yeah. So we'll, yes. Eric and I'll cool. work forward. Thank you, Pat. Okay. Not during the football season. Yes. Yes. All right. Uh, next, I don't think, haha, hopefully this will take too long, but the voting task force worked to put a, um, an updated standing rules together for uh, the annual business meeting for 2020. Uh, and it was slight modifications. 2022. 2022. Thank you. Yes, 2022. Uh, and it is uh, some slight modifications from our standing rules from last year. So I'm going to ask Jeff if he could present those changes and then uh, we'd like to approve it. So then it would be available for Nancy and Janet to get in the you know, convention program and in um, all the right places here as we move forward. So, Dan, realizing the time constraints, do you mm -hmm. want the, since they're not too long, do you want to have one read through of the rule before I explain the changes, or do you just want me to go over the changes? I think just over the changes. Um, okay. Yeah, because there were only a few that got modified from yeah. last year. Most of, most of yeah. it, it's basically moving hybrid from for virtual to hybrid. There needed to be a few changes. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so... My many thanks to um, our voting task force leader, Patrick, and everyone else on the task force. Uh, and Connie and I worked on a draft, which we're presenting, which we hope you will approve. Um, the first change in rule number one is um, we decided since we have a 20-minute debate period, which can be lengthened, of course, by the by the body, um, and we have um, a rule about having five people for and against that we would change from three to two minutes the um, maximum period for an individual to um, provide debate, since it went easily into 20. Um, in rule two, we just have some, and we have some in others, a couple of other places as well. Um, we have some conforming changes to the fact that since last year we were um, remote and this year we were hybrid, we, when referring to debating and voting, we have to talk in various places, not only about um, people using the Zoom platform to raise their hand, but also people in the hall, you know, um, indicating what their vote is or that they want to debate. Um, so those are some conforming changes. Um, so it's not just raising your hand, it's or being recognized in the hall. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. That's right. And then yeah. in Rule 3, we have the same kind of a change when it comes to indicating voting on the convention and changing the convention program. So they're really just conforming changes. Rule 6 was basically a rule that applied to last year's convention. We deleted that rule and because it had no real um, impact on what we're doing this year. And we added a rule that concerns resolutions, and it has two parts. Um, Letter A in the new Rule 6 specifies that after the chair announces the result of a voice vote, the chair will then ask those who voted in the minority if anyone objects to the result of the vote. And if we have 25 people objecting from the minority, either through raised hands on the Zoom platform or through um, raising a hand or standing up in the convention hall, then a roll call vote, record vote, would be required for that resolution. And that's really in accordance with the Constitution. Um, So we really, that's just basically conforming it to constitutional requirements. And of course, then if the roll call vote is required, it gets held after the in-person or the hybrid part of the convention in um, the next, the second week of July. Um, in Amendment B, this is sort of a clarifying change, but we felt it was necessary. We basically wanted to say that after a voice, after debate and a voice vote is held, um, if it is then determined by objections that we have to have a roll call vote on a resolution, there's going to be no more ability to um, seek amendments. Um, so if there are amendments that have already been required for a roll call vote, then those will have to be voted on in that um, in that remote time in, in July, around the 11th of July. But if there are no amendments... Uh, or, or, you know, you can't, you cannot, after that initial voice vote, uh, propose any more amendments. Otherwise, it could go on forever. And those are basically the changes. And so with that, I, uh, Patrick is chair of the task force. Do you want to, maybe you should make the motion? If I would uh, uh, put a motion forward to accept those changes to the standing rules. I'll second that. All right. Thank you, Jeff, for all your work on that, by the way. Yeah, thank you very much. You and you and Connie and team. Connie did a great job. Yep. Thank you. Um, all right. Any discussion on the changes to the standing rules? We we just recommend them as the board and then they will be voted on the first night of the uh, of the the annual business meeting. I'm sorry, this is Chris Bell. What was the change in the debate time? I my brain kind of clocked oh, down. Oh well. Oh, the debate times, because if you have three minutes for each speaker uh, and everybody wanted to speak three minutes, that would be a total of 30 minutes. And so since we only have a 20 minute maximum debate time for each debate block. Okay. 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 Thanks. Thanks. All right. Any other questions or discussion? Hearing none, all in favor of adopting, uh, recommending the adoption of the proposed standing rules for the 2022 annual business meeting signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? Okay. 
Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you so much. I didn't want to have to have a special board meeting just to approve. Yeah. <laughs> we got to, which was what we had to do last year. So yeah. sorry for having to put that in at the last moment. All right. This is the, um, the end of our, I think, our time for our broadcast of the, um, of the board meeting. And then we will um, uh, sign off the stream and then ask to move into uh, executive session. I move we uh, move into executive session. Second.